tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Good morning and welcome to Tip Today, the first tip today of 2023. Happy New Year to you all and happy um, happy Tuesday. It's hard to remember what day it is with, with the weeks, so especially the dates as well. But uh, it's definitely Tuesday and it's definitely 2023. So great to have you with us this morning. A busy show coming up. It's New Year's, of course, so we'll be discussing New Year's resolutions. We want to hear yours this morning. A study reveals we get the best sleep when we reach our 50s. We'll find out why later later on. Old, old Moors, even 2023 Almanic predictions, will be hearing what's predicted and what's in store for us in the next 12 months. Also, what is Veganuary and should we be doing it? Thomas Conway will be in studio with us to discuss the latest global politics. Also in studio, our agony aunt Phil Prendergast to answer your New Year's problems. Our GP in Nina Pat Harold will also be joining us to talk more about COVID and this respiratory thing that really seems to be doing the rounds. Every second person you'd meet over Christmas either has it or was just recovering from it. So we'll find out more about that. Karen Prendergast, also of Interior Concepts on Interior Trends for 2023 and Travel Tales with Fergal O'Keefe. He'll be giving us the rundown of what the trends are for holidays this year and if you're planning them, where you should go and how you should book it. We'll have all that between now and 12 noon today. Our phone lines are open 1800 or you can text or WhatsApp 083 now, as I said, it is that time of year again when almost every advertisement and social media post is quick to remind you to set some New Year's resolutions. Self-improvement, of course, is difficult any time of year, but you may feel extra pressure to embark on a life change at the top of the new year. New Year's resolutions can get a bad rap, though, for being notoriously unattainable. But the process you take in reaching the goal holds more weight sometimes than simply making the choice to change. One of our listeners, Joe Noble, joins me on the line now. Joe, good morning. Good morning, Ali. How are you? I'm great. Happy New Year to you, Pat. And many happy returns to you and your worst. How was your Christmas and New Year? It was brilliant. Good. Nice and relaxing. Lovely. Yes, it was. It was lovely. Now, the two boys came down to me and the little grandchildren and uh, that's what it's all about. Absolutely. Now, unfortunately, every a lot of people back to work today. The weather isn't fantastic out there at all today. But tell well, me, when it comes to New Year's, um, have you any resolutions for New Year's? Uh, well, yeah, well, I have different resolutions than the normal people. <laughs> um, I'm not into this, um, keeping fit and all that. I tried all that and I failed in its day. So, and I <laughs> gave up things and I failed in its day. So, this time, I'm going to cause a bit of havoc. Oh, go on. <laughs> no, I'm going to torment this sugar out of the hospital to see if I can soon get seen. Right. I'm going to I plague as many people as I can that is denying me. Um, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to do the little things. I'm going to forget about giving up sweets. I love it. No, bit of no sweet thing. Um, I'm not going to give up anything like that at all. And I can't get, say, I get sweet because... 
two wonky hips. So yeah. we whistled window. Um, but no, I, I try to be a better person, in fairness. But, but sure, there's no better resolution than that, Joe. Well, I was just thinking about it to see now uh, New Year's Eve. Oh, and the lads rang me and they said, man, what are you going to do? What are you going to give up? Or what are you going to do for New Year's resolution? And giving up nothing, I said. Yeah. I'm going to cause havoc. <laughs> <laughs> Good but you know, but like, is it a thing now? Do people still do it? Are a lot of people still making New Year's resolutions? I don't think so. Maybe yeah. maybe they do, but I, I really don't think so. I think years ago, Alex, it was really, I mean, God, once 12 o'clock would come in, the streets were gone or something was was gone. Or, do you know what I mean? And yeah. uh, we'd be out galloping the road maybe for one or two days and then they'd all go belly up. And then you'd feel bad about yourself then for ages yeah. afterwards. you think, God, I really planned now on doing that and I didn't stick to it at all and aren't I terrible? Yeah, th- that's actually true. So the failing, in anything you try to set your mind to apart from all that, no matter what you set your mind to, the failing is worse. Yeah, it's true. You know, so well, why would I depress myself? Yeah. But even if maybe we need to set the bar lower, because like you said now, and I I was always the same. I always tried to start off the year. I'll try and lose a bit of weight and I'll try yeah. and be a nicer person. And I always <laughs> ended the year fatter and more bitter than I started it. So I said, yeah. what is the point? <laughs> exactly. You're only turned into yourself. Yeah. So what is the oh, I don't know. No, that's, uh, no, that's what I'm going to do. I intend haunting a few people and I... And then standing up for myself. Good not woman. Be, not to be fucking bullied anymore. Or, you know what I mean? So I will. I stand up for myself from now on. Or do you feel like you don't stand up for yourself, Joe? No, I, I, I didn't now, to be, be honest. I, I tried to keep it. I was a peace, tried to be a peacekeeper. Yeah. So rather than disagree, I would have kind of agreed just to keep the peace and so forth, etc. I never kind of, I kind of went back into the background. But now, no. Absolutely not. I have my mind made up now and anyone that wrongs me or whatever, well, they come like. Yeah. Do you, you think know? that's an age thing too, Joe? Maybe we get a bit braver as we get older. When you, yes. Yes. Uh, no, I, I know it well. I'm old. But, I can um, hear that. <laughs> but, um, no, when you do get older, you do kind of think, oh, what's the dickens like, you know. Um, why would I let people run run me down? Why would I let somebody make up stories or whatever? The usual sugar like yeah. that go on, you know yourself. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when I sit back and say nothing, I wouldn't hope me dog. But yeah. now, there's a different me and a big different me. <laughs> Well, I think that's a good thing. And I think COVID has kind of helped with that as well, because we, we had a, a long period of self-reflection. So anyone who kind of yeah. felt, God, I, I want to be different, but in a maybe I think people decided they wanted to be a bit more laid back and take take life a bit easier. That's true. I suppose that's true. And though COVID frightened the sugar out of me, like um, I went into a nervous wreck with COVID. <laughs> I think a lot of people did, Joe. Yeah. Um, and again, I think when you get older, Ellie, um, it kind of makes you get a little bit more nervous. Like, I want to be here a little bit longer. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, whereas, I'm saying some younger people maybe might run off them like water off a duck's back. Yeah. You know, but when you do get to a certain age, you do kind of, well, you 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 enjoy each day, don't you? You know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, and you appreciate maybe the smaller things. A hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred percent. I mean, you wake up in the morning, and you know, whatever, something good happens 
in every day. That's yes. the thing. And to you find know, it. Yeah, yeah, now you said it. Exactly. Well, Joe, was Santi good to you? Santi was flipping brilliantly this year. I must have been good. I must have been. <laughs> and I didn't think I was now. The last time I was talking to Frank Corey, I didn't think Santi had come to me at all. Well, now, obviously, you were a good girl, so... I, I was good after. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, it is great to talk to you. And I, a lot of people agreeing with you um, on text this morning saying Mommy you're Jim. dead right to cause havoc this year and that'll be their resolution as well. Good, Digar. Good. Be pleased with them. Good. Joe, great to talk to you and Happy New Year to you. And many happy returns, Sally. Take care. Love. All the best. Bye. That's okay, Joe bye there. Bye. And we'd love to hear all your resolutions as well. Text or WhatsApp 83 Helen is on the line now and she joins me. Helen, good morning. Good morning, Ali. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. Many happy returns. Tell me, have you any New Year's resolutions set for yourself for 2023? I have nothing at all. I gave up on these New Year's resolution thing uh, because it would either not happen at all mm. or I'd say I'll start tomorrow or I'd start and after three days feck it and forget about it. Yeah. So none at all and you're totally unapologetic about it. Totally unapologetic because the things I would have done in the past, you know, um, eat healthier or that, I eat healthily anyway. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, too, is that with New Year's resolutions, we make them at a very emotive time of year. True. With good intentions. And the road to hell is good intentions. Yeah. So, um, I, I suppose the thing is, I was just listening there to Joe, and I was have been thinking about those lines, that I can give people too many chances um, around me and with bad behaviour. And now you're going from lots of chances to... Once you do, you fool me once, okay, I'll give you another chance. And the second time, one second strike, you're out. Yeah. And you know, I think with a lot of us, we we're, we try to be polite. We don't want to insult anyone. We don't want any yeah. confrontation with people. But sometimes by doing that, you can sometimes let people walk all over you a little bit. Yeah, you can give a signal that's okay to treat me yeah. like that. And I, uh, this year now, or last year, 2022, I allowed it to happen a few times when I felt that maybe I made a stick with which to beat my own back. Mm. So I had to be a bit more respectful of myself and my time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think people, and there's nothing wrong with being selfish with your resolutions. If it's something that's going to make you happier and a bit more peaceful in life, what's wrong with that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Helen, how was your Christmas? I was sick for most of Oh, it. Helen. I had a viral infection beforehand and then it just seemed to get worse. Oh, no. So, oh, just um, going Christmas around. was a haze. And was it the chest and the nose thing that's going the around? The chest and the nose yeah. and then stomach. And uh, the only thing I didn't get was a headache. Yeah. Oh, God. And how yeah. long? So you're about a week into it now, are you? I can still hear I can, the cough. I started the end of November oh, and no. it gathered forth. So by Christmas Eve morning, I was really getting sick and I could hardly scrape myself off the bed. Oh, no. And I'm always get up and go and dashing around the place. Yeah. And there was no dashing anywhere. Yeah, it's a tough one. And I know um, GPs are in on data. We'll be talking to Pat Harold about it later. I think there's a fear with antibiotics and a shortage around them now as well. Uh, yes. but, but it's certainly it a tough one. It is a worldwide shortage of antibiotics. Yeah. And with the huge invasion now of strep A, of course, antibiotics are being pushed on kids because it's the only way to deal with it. Yeah. 
and that then leads to a subsequent uh, shortage. Yeah, it's hard going. Well, Helen, I wish you all the best for the new year. Hopefully you'll you'll get to the mm-hmm. end of that bloody virus soon <laughs> I enough. hope so too. Oh, and Helen. Daddy, thank you very much and Happy New Year to you and Emma and Fran and all. Happy New Year, Helen. Thanks okay, for joining thanks. us Take this care. morning. Ah, oh, poor old Helen. We wish her all the best. Hopefully she'll get well soon. It's certainly going around this virus. Let us know uh, if you've been suffering, if you found anything that helped it, actually, because I think every second person is is struggling with it at the moment. Uh, Emma's standing by on the phones 1800 or you can text her WhatsApp 083-311-3311. We're back after this. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to Tip Today. The phone lines are open 1800 or text or WhatsApp 083 Would love to know how you spent your New Year's. If you're a fan of maybe celebrating New Year's Eve, would love to know how you spent it. And while we're on the topic, actually, I have to give a shout out to uh, John Lonergan and everyone in the Galty Walking Group. They organised a fantastic sunrise hike up Galty Moor uh, New, Year's, New Year's Day morning. Uh, set off from the Black Road in the pitch black at 6am and we were up at Galty Moor. I was delighted to take part in it up at the top of Galty Moor at, for about 8am on New Year's Day. A lovely way to start off the new year. It was cold and it was windy. We couldn't see a thing because of the fog but it was really lovely going up um, by light. It was really beautiful. So well done to everyone involved in that. Um also, John from Clamel says, I'm listening to you from Perth in Australia, sitting by the pool. It's 33 degrees. John, we hate you a little bit, but good morning to you. And thanks for joining us this morning. Pat joins me on the line now. Pat, good morning. Good morning, Ali. How are you? I'm Happy great, Pat. Yep. Happy New Year to you. Tell me about New Year's resolutions. Do you have any? Well, to be quite honest, you know, uh, Ali, New Year's resolutions were a thing that we used to do years ago. You know, I, I prefer to call them now. Uh, use the term casual promises to myself that I'm under no legal obligation to fulfill. <laughs> That's the perfect way of describing them. So what are your <laughs> casual promises we all to had yourself? resolutions because we, I think they, they come from, from, from the, the time that we, we used the Christmas period to be like gluttons and whatever the case yeah. would be and suddenly didn't come into the new year. We felt guilty and we were going to make promises to ourselves that we were going to be a little bit better and whatever the case may be. Yeah. But, um, like I just made up a list of, of what resolutions that would look familiar to people, and uh, I listed ten of them. And uh, I know your listeners now will, will look at these and they'll say, "Oh yeah, I remember these or whatever," you know. But um, the ten most common things I would say as resolutions would be: number one, exercise more. Yeah. Um, number two, lose weight. Three, get organised. Oh yeah. Learn a new skill or hobby. Live life to the fullest. I think uh, Joe Joe Noble there mentioned something similar to that. She did. Um, save more money, spend less money, uh, quit smoking, uh, spend more time with family and friends, travel more, and read more. Now, there's oh. ten ten things that that people would possibly have as a New Year resolution starting out on 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 New Year's Day. And but, do, you, um, uh, do you have any of those that you're dedicated to for the the New Year? I. <laughs> 
I, I didn't. I, I said that I, I'll get to exercise, exercise more. I wanted to do a little bit more than I was doing. Um, a kind of a, I'm a, a, surf, a couch surfer, really, you know. Yeah. And, uh, I'm retired, so like that's that's maybe I should get out a little bit more and think of my health. Um, but uh, like there's pros and cons. With, 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 I listed out a pros and cons then as well as, well as that uh, in relation to to um, um, New Year resolutions. And the pros that I would say that can help to, to get set achievable goals, uh, mm. can help to create a sense of focus and direction, uh, can provide motives to make positive changes, and can help to establish healthy habits, and can help to improve self-discipline. Now, that would be the pros. But then, of course, you have the cons. It can be difficult to stick to. Mm. can be overly ambitious. You know, people making the thing that, oh, I'm going to lose three stone weight in the month of January. Yeah. You know, little bit over ambitious, uh, can be too restrictive. Again, you know, you're putting in a, 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 a resolution to yourself there and, you you know, it is over restrictive and suddenly then it's gone, you know? Yeah. Uh, they can lead to feelings of guilt or failure if not achieved. Absolutely. And that's a big one. That is a big one, you know? And they can lead to unrealistic expectations, you know, because you're making resolutions either to yourself or to your family. I always remember that I was a smoker years ago. And uh, one of my New Year resolutions was that God, I'd love to quit smoking, you know. Mm. And um, so I'd make the resolution to quit smoking and it'd be grand on New Year's Day, whatever the case may be, because uh, you had enough of smokes and cigarettes taken on the 31st, which was New Year's Eve, and that's mm. my birthday, so I was without the Aww. celebration on New Year's Eve. And uh, so, like, you felt a little bit queasy and a bit sick on New Year's Day, so you didn't, didn't even bother about a cigarette. But then when you go back to work, people say to you, well, well, what's the news? What do you give up? And suddenly they're bringing it all back to you. Yeah. You know, it's the worst time of the year to quit smoking, I think, it's the 1st of January. It's very, uh, it can be very stressful. That's quitting, you know, because you're constantly reminded. Mm. Uh, well, what did you give up? I give up sweets or I give up the drink or, uh, you know, the dry January thing or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, so I, when I give up the cigarettes, I made a decision to myself that I'm going to do it, but it wasn't on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day or during Lent. It was just a, a, a thing that I made to myself I'm going to do it, taught no one, so nobody was asking me. Right. And reminding me. And what was the path that led to that decision that I've been offered this now? I I don't know. Uh, I always remember looking at a programme years ago, it was on um, RTE, it was about uh, lung cancer. Mm. And uh, uh, I was a smoker at the time, and pretty heavy smoker. I could smoke three packets a day. Like 60? uh, 60 a day, yeah, no problem. No problem. If I woke up 10 times in the night, I had 10 cigarettes. You know, so it was, it was a, an awful habit. But I remember seeing a programme in lung cancer, you know, and I got such a shock that I smoked five cigarettes looking at it. <laughs> and the wife said to me, she said, you know, she said, uh, you know, she said, you're smoking too heavy, you know, and uh, and I kind of, I got a bit of a shock. It was a bit of a shock to the system. Yeah. But I still hadn't the resolution to go ahead and give them up. But I did eventually. I just bit the bullet and said I'd give them up, you know. Did you find it out. hard? Or did was it a case of once you'd made that decision, you saw it through? I made the decision and I'm going to stick to it. Yeah. That's what I've done, you know. And uh, I like I like doing, I like having challenges in my life, you know. And, mm. and, and uh, like that was one major one. And I remember I was sick. I got every flu under the sun because my, my lungs started to clear out and I began then to get infections. You know, infections as a girl's flus and influenza and that type of thing, you know, yeah. not anything major. But then I felt great after it, you know. I, I, I thank God I gave up the cigarettes uh, because my health is not the best at the moment, but because if I had been a smoker, I would be a lot worse than I am today, you know. So how long are you off them now, Pat? 
I missed them about 34 years. Wow, well done. Do you ever miss them? No. Even no. if you smell them now, would you think? Oh, no, they nice. don't. It doesn't affect me to smell them, you know. Yeah. Uh, I prefer I prefer no, not to smell them. I put it that way to you. Yeah. Not to smell them. Anyway, I wrote a little ditty about um, a tip FM. and oh, come on. You know, I, I, I'll just, I'll read it out to you. Do. And you can, you can have a, a laugh or whatever the case may be. But um, I just said that I'll start anyway. Tip FM, a beacon of light, ringing in the new year with all its might, bringing us news and music, a place to find solace and joy that's unique. As we make our resolutions, let's make sure to stay true. Let's strive to be better and kinder and help others too. Let's reach out to those in need and show them a helping hand. Let's spread love, love and positivity across the land. Let's make sure to keep our promises and stay true to our world. Let's be open Let's be honest and open and never be deterred. Let's make sure to take care of ourselves and not forget to have fun and be free. Tip FM will be here to guide us as we journey into the new year and 2023. Oh, Pat, that's beautiful. Well done. No problem. Thank you very much. Oh, great to talk to you this morning. Happy New Year to you, Pat. And the same to you, Ellie, and all your listeners, OK? All Bye-bye. the best. Thanks, Pat. Isn't that a lovely message? And, uh, you know, that's the resolution we should all be following, just a bit more peace and a bit more happiness for, for 2023. Now, moving on to another topic now, and for anyone who might be worried about maybe approaching 60, scientists have some good news. While people sleep the least from their early 30s up to their early 50s, they can look forward to getting more shut-eye as their 60th birthday looms. This study published in the Journal of Nature Communications was led by researchers at University College London, the University of East Anglia and the University of Lyon in France. Patrick McGeown is a leading international expert on breathing and sleep and also CEO and Director of Education and Training at Oxygen Advantage. He joins me now for more on this. Patrick, good morning. Good morning, Alison. How are you? I'm good. Happy New Year to you. Good to talk to you this morning. Just in relation to this research, does it surprise you that people sleep better as they get older? In a way it does, because all of the whatever conferences I would have attended over the last 15 years, the sleep disorder breathing, including obstructive sleep apnea, increases as we get older. And we are more susceptible now. It doesn't just start when we're 60, but it can start earlier. But as we get older, we lose muscle tone in the throat and the upper airway is more liable to collapse. We stop breathing during sleep and that causes us to have poor quality sleep. It puts pressure on the heart, etc. So so it's good news to see, um, but it kind of flies in the face of what we've been thinking for the last 15 years. Would that make you a bit doubtful of this research then? Yeah, it's it's not what we're seeing um, in terms of even if you were to read papers or if you you were to look at the work of the leading experts in sleep, Dr. Christian Gimeno, always it's something that happens that as we do get older, sleep disorder breathing increases. Insomnia, I suppose, can affect us at any time. Mm. Is it something that tends to increase as we get older? I'm not sure. Snoring can increase as we get older. So it's just because of the loss of muscle tone. You know, we, we need... We need our airway to be able to stay open during sleep. And when I'm talking about the airway, I'm talking about the throat, the space at the back of the nose, the space at the back where the mouth meets the throat. And during wakefulness, it stays open. But during sleep, it's liable to collapse, In certainly in some individuals, probably between 25 to 50% of males over 50. Wow, that's huge. 
It's huge. And if you, again, if you look at the literature, 90% of people are undiagnosed. Yeah. Women over 50 are quite susceptible to it as well. Women under 50 are not so much. Um, there's a 300% increase in sleep disorder breathing that takes place in postmenopause. And that's thought to be because progesterone um, is a, a hormone that's taught to protect the airway from collapsing in younger females. But as females get older, they're more susceptible to it. But then again, I suppose it's going to be like this. You know, we all know when we've had a good night's sleep. Yeah. And anybody that's listening, if you're wondering, is it right or wrong? Well, just check how did you feel when you wake, woke up this morning? Do you need to get up to go to the bathroom a couple of times during the night? Because that's going to suggest that there's disruption to your sleep. Has your partner told you that you're stopping breathing during sleep? Are you snoring heavily? You know, so there's different things that you can kind of be paying attention to. And for a lot of people, they would have been out maybe over Christmas. There would have been a few late nights, so their yeah. routine would be disrupted. How long does it take to kind of get back into the normal process again? Yeah, it's well, if we look at jet lag, so say, for example, every one hour in time difference, it takes one day to recover. So say somebody went out on Saturday night and they, they really hit it hard and they were out till two or three o'clock in the morning. That could be a four or five hour difference in their normal sleep routine. Hmm. And it can take three to four days then to recover from that. Wow. And that's just so, from one night? From one night. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we'll say over, you'd be looking at maybe a couple of weeks then at least before you start getting back into your normal routine again of, of sleep. Well, it's just alcohol will, t- will take some time anyway to get out of the system. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I think we all know after a few drinks, sleep is affected. You know, even though the person feels that they've had a deep sleep, they're not going to be waking up so feeling so refreshed in the morning. So it's just one of those things. Um, I wouldn't say two weeks, no, but I would say it, it will depend on person to person. If you've got somebody who drinks alcohol and they also have obstructive sleep apnea, they will have a magnified effect. So, But typically we would expect about three to four days. Like if, for example, I give you this, if you flew over to Los Angeles and there's a difference of seven or eight hours, that's going to take you a week to fully recover. So it's one day for every hour in the time zone difference. Wow, that's incredible. Mm, and yeah. is there more, are we are we still looking at having to get maybe seven hours of sleep a night? Is that the optimum amount? Well, qu- quantity is one thing, but quality is another. You know, you can have 10 hours of sleep, but if you're having insomnia, if you're waking up at two o'clock in the morning, you're lying there. If you're having obstructive sleep apnea, you know, eight hours sleep is irrelevant to some degree if the quality of it isn't good. So mm. we need to take into consideration the two things. I think there's an individual aspect to it. Some people get by with less sleep than others. Um, it's always, you know, whenever you hear mention of it, Margaret Thatcher is... Yeah, her four hours. Her four hours yeah. of sleep. Now, a lot of the time, people who are getting by with four hours, they would be napping during the day. Okay. So, So it may not be totally true about four hours, but... I'm not sure if she was, but I have seen accounts of others doing that. And is it beneficial to go for a nap during the day? Because sometimes you feel like it will disrupt your your sleep cycle at night time. But is it often beneficial? There's there's kind of conflicts about it. If people work in an industry where they really are required to stay alert, such as driving machinery or something like that, it's encouraged to go for a 20-minute nap during the day, maybe afternoon. Um, I remember reading one paper on it, in showing that people who did nap in the afternoon had better cardiovascular health. 
Now, I'm not sure if that follows through. Mm. The risk is, though, if you do a nap during the day, you're not going to be so tired going to sleep. Mm. And it may may cause you then to have a lighter sleep. And the problem is sometimes you can nap for maybe too long and you end up very groggy then for the rest of the day. What's the, the perfect amount of time for a nap? It's 20 minutes or thereabouts. Well, most people think it's about 20 minutes. If you go over 20 minutes, then you're going into deeper sleep. Okay. And that's as a result. Now, you could still have a really nice nap of 20 minutes and still wake up groggy, but you'll come around mm. and you'll find your energy levels then will be better. Or even, you know, for somebody to just to sit down, shut your eyes, focus on your breathing, slow down your breathing, bring your attention inwards, bring some stillness to the mind. That can help to regain energy as well. Maybe not quite a nap, but it's still going to slow down everything. Patrick, for anyone, um, I know a lot of people suffer from, you know, they're, they're going to sleep, but they feel like they're just dozing all night, that they're never really falling into that real deep sleep. Yes. Is there any way you can help yourself along that process? Breathing through the nose is is really, really important during sleep, and it doesn't get the attention it deserves. The main doctor that was talking about it was Dr. Christian Gimeno, and he was considered to be the founding father of sleep medicine. He always spoke about the importance of nasal breathing, waking up in a moist mouth in the morning. If one is breathing through an open mouth, you're more likely and susceptible to sleep disorder breathing, mouth snoring, and waking up feeling groggy. So that would be the first thing to do. The temperature of the room is very important. If the temperature of the room is too hot, you're likely that your sleep is going to be lighter. So the temperature of the bedroom should be quite cool, even to turn off radiators or even to have the bedroom window open very, very slightly to allow for circulation of air. Alcohol doesn't help. Eating late at night doesn't help. The bedroom should be dark. The bedroom should be silent. So, And also the other aspect would be Maybe it can be helpful not to expose yourself to blue light before you go to sleep. Okay, so like and devices. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, because basically it tells the brain that it's daylight outside, so you're not going to get shut eye as quickly. And another, what's getting a lot of attention at the moment is for people to get up in the morning. Whenever you get up, spend 15, 20 minutes exposed to the daylight outside so that you're telling the brain that it's it's daylight. So you're getting back into the circadian rhythm. Oh. Whereas a lot of us, we may be, for example, going from our house into into our car or into our work. We're not getting exposure to the daylight, so it can disrupt the circadian rhythm. So there's, there's different things that people can do. Um, first and foremost, I would say, get your mouth closed during sleep. It's really, really important. The exposure to the daylight in the morning can be very helpful. The dark, cool, um, silent bedroom is very helpful. You know, so those things you can implement straight away. Is that a difficult one to implement at this time of year? Because it mightn't be bright until maybe eight or or after it. And for anyone maybe getting up earlier than that, is there anything they can do? You can still expose yourself to even it's whenever it gets bright. Now, I suppose if you're exposing yourself to light in the morning, is there different lights that you can buy in your house? If when you switch it on, it's telling the brain that it's daylight outside. That I'm not sure. Mm. Um, if you look at the work of Dr. Andrew, Andrew Huberman, so he is a neuroscientist from Stanford, he will talk and others will talk about going out for a walk, just exposing yourself to that daylight. But, you know, if they're based in California, slightly different to here. But even to get out at half eight in the morning, nine o'clock in the morning, and tell your brain it's daylight, and then your brain is more prepared 
for when you need to go to sleep as well. Okay, Patrick, can I ask you about the weighted blanket? I know they're hugely popular and I swear by mine, but is there any kind of scientific evidence around using a weighted blanket? Not that I'm aware of. Um, I don't, to be honest with you, if I was to put something out there, I'd be kind of guessing. But, for example, touch and hugs stimulate the vagus nerve and they can activate a relaxation response. And I know children with autism, they they were often using, or at least it was it was um, recommended that they would have a weighted blanket, mm. possibly to help stimulate the vagus nerve, to help the child, for example, to be a little bit calmer. That could be part of it, because in order to have a deep sleep, you want to be able to re- activate the rest and digest response. But nowadays, we're exposed to so much stimuli, mm. and there's overstimulation of the mind, and you throw in stress. I'm talking about chronic stress here. And that can impact the ability to fall asleep quickly. It's very difficult to fall asleep when the mind is overactive. So how do we switch off? How do we downregulate? Now, we would use breathing techniques, especially just slowing down the exhalation, um, taking a soft breath in through the nose, and then having a really slow and relaxed and gentle breath out, and softening the breath, and pay attention then to the saliva in the mouth, you know that you're activating the rest and digest response if you feel increased watery saliva in the mouth. So it's a good way, and you'll feel sleepy then as well. So breathing techniques could help, and that possibly is what the the weighted blanket is doing as well. Finally, Patrick, can I ask you, anyone who maybe suspects they might have some sleep disorder or problem with their sleep, and they might be put off with the, the process of diagnosis and with sleep studies, what would you say to them? Well, the only way you're going to find out is by doing a sleep study. You could go in online and there's an effort sleep scale. Um, you fill it out. It's not perfect. None of these questionnaires are perfect. Typically, people with sleep disorder breathing, it's often their partner that raises it with them. Yeah. Okay, it's not going to be helpful for somebody that's living on their own. You know, you can get, you're as well off knowing about the diagnosis and then making a decision on treatment. Hmm. Um, but at least if you know about it, you're in a position to start doing something about it. I think as men especially, we tend to put off that we don't we don't want to know what's going on, but it's not necessarily, I wouldn't, like, I think the first step is to find out what's going on. Mm-hmm. And after that, then explore your choice and what to do about it. I always wonder as well with sleep studies, are they a fair assessment of how you're sleeping? Because you're in a strange bed and you're hooked up to a lot of things, so you're probably not going to sleep the way you normally would anyway. But but can you get a fair assessment from a sleep study? Nothing is perfect. Like even the the apnea hypopnea index, which is a measurement of sleep apnea severity, not perfect. Um, You know, it's, it's, it's better than not doing it, but at the same time, I would agree with you. The ideal position would be to do home studies, but then would you have the technology to yeah. be able to give the results? So that I don't know. don't know. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Patrick, great it to is. talk to you this morning and Happy New Year to you. Many happy returns. All the best. Thanks, Patrick. Bye. That's Bye-bye. Patrick McKeown there. Um, he is a leading international expert on breathing and sleep and CEO and Director of Education and Training at Oxygen Advantage. The phone lines are open 1800 938 or 083-311-3311. If you have any tips for better sleep and how to maybe get yourself back into uh, your normal sleep pattern in 2023, let us know. 
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Facon, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Facon, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. Now, at the end of every year, many people start to think about improving their fitness. This often comes from eating and drinking too much. I think we're all guilty of that during the festive season. Still, a new year is an excellent opportunity for a fresh start and commit to fitness in your New Year's resolutions. Um, I'm delighted to be joined now by Dundrum woman, Lisa O'Keefe, who's a personal trainer and runs fitness classes in Knockavilla Hall. Lisa, good morning. Good morning, Ali. Happy New Year. How are you? Happy New Year to you and great to talk to you again. I know we spoke to you during our village tour in Dundrum and it was great to meet you there. Can I ask, do you get a huge influx of of messages from people, particularly in the New Year, who are looking maybe to to get fit and maybe lose a bit of weight in the New Year? Would Would this be your prime time of people contacting you? Yeah, it would. I suppose it would. It goes without saying January is a very um, busy month in this industry and I suppose we're after putting down a quiet December. So January is always a buzz. I've always loved um, working in January. So you do get a lot of messages. And even myself, way back in the day when I got into all of this, it would have came off the back for New Year's resolution to join a gym in the January. And I did. And for so many people, that New Year's resolution is such a success. And how long do you kind of have to keep doing it, do you think, before it becomes habit? Um... I think, like, I do courses out in Dundrum, as you know, Ali, I do the Fab Last Day mornings out there. Yeah. And usually that the, the courses are six weeks. So the first block of six weeks is very difficult for people. And again, at this time of year, because the mornings are still very dark and it's just hard to get into it and for your body to adjust. But after the six weeks, you're into it. You're kind of home and dry. Okay. That's kind of the secret to it, is it? It's just developing the habit and keeping That's it That's it and just stick with it stick with it show up for yourself every whole day do you think should you be going into it with a kind of a basic level of fitness or is it okay to have nothing oh no not at all absolutely everybody is welcome in them courses like my youngest client at the moment is 18 and my oldest client is 78 wow and yeah and every person in between man woman every injury possible every medical complaint you name it and we work with, with you, I have a chat with you and we figure it out and we go from there. Yeah, I think a lot of people probably make the resolution because, you know, we, we all made pigs of ourselves over Christmas and God, there's still roses at home that are killing me. I have to just get rid of them. But what what is it, do you think about, is it that kind of guilt from so much eating that, that makes the new year more likely for people to decide I have to do something? Yeah, I think so. And I do hate that for people because like Christmas is there to be enjoyed and like we're all with family and friends and catching up with everybody. So I hate when people message with that feeling of like real self-loathing and guilt and shame and all of that because that is what Christmas is there for. Um, So, yeah, I I love hearing from people that just genuinely want to make a change in their own lives. But that shame... That's kind of attached, you know, I don't like that, but it is, it's very common, unfortunately, you know, Um, and then it's just to look at making lifestyle changes that hopefully would stick, that even when the following Christmas would come around and every other celebration in between, you are developing changes that are working for you, if that makes sense. Yeah. And when it comes to diet and things then, should you be making big changes going on these crash diets or small little changes enough? 
No, absolutely not. Like my number one rule of thumb um, with all my clients is we treat ourselves the very same way as we do the children in our lives. We keep it that simple. So every morning when the kids get up, they have a breakfast. You send them off to school on a full tummy. They never go off to school without a breakfast. You send them off with a small snack, a big snack, and they eat regularly. They come home, they have their dinner. And us as adults should be the very same, but we develop bad habits over the years. Mm. So we fly off out the door without a breakfast. We try and overcomplicate everything, you know. It's the same then at weekends. Again, if your child is going to a birthday party for argument's sake and you know that they're going to have cake and they're going to have sweets, you are not punishing them for that. So they're not going without for the day because they're going to get cake. But again, as adults, we tend to do that to ourselves. So we'd be like, oh, you know, I have such an occasion on Saturday night. I'm going for a meal. I'm going to starve myself the day long, you know, and... We punish ourselves nearly, whereas if you're going out for a Saturday night, it's on another meal. And again, that's what I'll say to all my clients, you know, it's just another meal. It's not kind of a free-for-all or you don't want to go out and do the dog on it, but you still get up that morning, you still have your breakfast, your lunch, your dinner, your couple of snacks, and you keep it so simple and so basic. And you should be feeding yourself the same way as you're feeding your family. That's a great way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah you know, just rather than overcomplicating it. And then, but again, I think that's what comes with the panic, the shame, the guilt. You want to do something really, really fast to get rid of them feelings. Mm. But if you can kind of sit with them feelings and then just develop new habits and a new way, and hopefully in time, like it does take hard work because we forget how easy that was or how naturally that came at one point in our lives when we all lived at home when we were underage I suppose but it's to revert back to that and just keep it simple Are the crash diets ever any good? No they're not they're not because everybody goes back to old habits so like and I will say I have tried and tested everything on the market um, my whole time in this industry. So if they tell you that you can lose a stone in a week, that's what they're selling and that's what they're marketing. And if you do what they say for the seven days, you lose a stone. They don't tell you what to follow after the seven days, but that's not what they're selling. Mm. So after your seven days, you'll have that back on and more. Yeah. So it's never, you know, like, again, I would say to my clients, do you see yourself doing this this time next year? You know, so if you're taken up for argument's sake, like a smoothie diet, and I say to them, can you still see yourself doing that in 12 months time? And then if the answer is no, there's, you know, they're not going to work and they're not going to be lasting. Yeah, has to be sustainable, doesn't it? Absolutely, Yeah. yeah. Lisa, anyone who's looking to contact you, how can they? And apologies, the texture just said that you're a casual woman, not a Dundrum woman. So apologies <laughs> for that. No, that's okay. That's okay. I've lost <laughs> relations and family in Dundrum, and they all took me in as their own. Uh, so yes, I I am very I'm I'm that's a that's a grand mistake. Um, I'm on all social media platforms, so Instagram and Facebook, and it's personal training with Lisa O'Keefe.
Oh, Lisa, happy new year to you. And thanks for happy talking new to us year. this morning. Happy new year. Thanks to Mel, Ali. Bye-bye. All the best. Thanks, Lisa. That's Lisa O'Keefe there. Now, the new year also brings with it a chance to start afresh and take on new challenges and set yourself up for the year ahead. For many, this will mean getting ready to take the next step in your career or taking on new responsibilities or ventures. Now, Kidson of techcentral.ie is going to share some interesting tech courses for 2023. He joins me on the line now. Niall, Good morning. Good morning. Great to talk to you this morning. Happy New Year. And to you, yeah. Tell us about, I know a lot of people will probably use the New Year to to start new courses. When it comes to tech, um, what is available for people? Yeah, well, there is is still plenty of time to make uh, New Year resolutions when it comes to courses. And very often, you know, it can be a, a matter of, okay, let's start embracing a career in coding or marketing or something like that. Or it also might be a case of, you know, here's a hobby that uh, I wanted to try for for ages or, you know, here's an entirely new direction my career would take and, and maybe I just want to try it on for size and see if it clicks with me. So whether you're a casual observer looking to try something new or you're a professional looking to upskill or something like that, there's loads of platforms that are out there and whether they're sort of for free or it goes up to sort of a premium level. And depending on who you want to sort of study with, you can start off with, you know, some guy on the internet in inverted commas and you can go all the way up to sort of the great experts of in their field so it depends what sort of platform you want to look for because there's an awful lot of overlap when it comes to content you know there's an awful lot of you know let's look at marketing let's look at coding let's look at business you know and it, it really comes down to who's actually giving the course and what do they get out of it mm. so you know and what is the certification that you end up getting at the end of it so one of the first places people try to look for courses it's just youtube you know let's let's go have a look let's see what marketing's like let's see if i can learn python or html or something like that uh, and of course you know very easily done uh, and it's something we've gotten used to over covid as well but these are it's an unstructured uh, unstructured environment you could be learning from anybody and there's no quality control because it's, it's just being uploaded so that's fine if, if you just want to sort of quit your appetite but maybe there's something you actually want to learn specifically like you know how do i fix this problem or how do i you know look at that particular issue and one place that you might look for is called skillshare um, and very often these are courses taught by either professionals in their field or online influencers. And it can be things like, you know, how to set up a podcast studio or how to publish your own book. This sort of thing, you know, quite quite um, simple but detailed tasks that they break down into sort of bite-sized lectures of about 10 minutes a, a pop. So very easy to digest. Now, this is a subscription service. So you'll end up paying about $32 per month okay. uh, or $168 for, for the year. So it is a little bit expensive for what you get. But, you know, but if then if you were going out and doing a course outside it, it probably probably ends up saving you money then. You can do it from the comfort of your own home. Absolutely, yes. And remote working is pretty much the, the way to go. Yeah. Like, uh, And it depends also on, on what sort of level of, of professionalism you want as well. There's uh, examples that, you know, skill-wise, Udacity, uh, Udemy, these are also almost sort of the the big three or big four when it when it comes to platforms like this. You know, structured environments delivered by professionals and you pay by the course. 
So, you know, something might be 70 euros, something might be 100 euros, something might be 500 euros. You know, it depends. And the course length also depends as well. Go up to, you know, from a few hours up to entire semesters. So these tend to sort of uh, let around sort of uh, tech, business, marketing, but also self-care as well, which is quite interesting. You, you'll go in and you can see quite a lot of wellness courses, um, which is which is quite nice. It's good to see people approach their, their careers with that sort of balance uh, in mind, which is great. Um, if for an Irish success story, there's Alison, uh, which you can join for free uh, in an ad-supported tier, or you can go without ads for seven ninety nine, uh, or you can spend seventy nine for a year, and they also have 500, uh, a €500 Euro lifetime membership, very much dip in and out, whatever you want. They've got over 4,000 courses. It's absolutely massive array, so you can, you know, business to photography to dieting. And it's all everything. online, is it? All online, and you know, learn at your own pace. Dip in and out. See, you know, and the, all these courses are from different uh, places as well. I did a photography course from Harvard, for example. Wow. And I just, I just watched the thing through, and it's very simple. Uh, and you know, you can hop around like this. Personally, uh, if you want to go with the real sort of Rolls Royce of, of uh, uh, online classes at the moment, have a look at masterclass.com. Um, this is sort of a streaming video uh, platform. Uh, again, it's sort of course broken down into, you know, small lessons. It costs about 16 euros a month, which is pretty Some good. But the real selling point is who is actually giving these lectures. If you want to learn chess, you can learn chess with Gary Kasparov. Wow. If you want to learn to sing, you can learn to sing with Christina Aguilera. If you want to write a book, you can watch lectures from Margaret Atwood. You know, this is sort of really high-end stuff. Now, previously, it's been sort of quite passive, I suppose. You know, you, you spend your 16 euro a month, which is the starting tier. Um, but now they've started introducing sort of group projects to make it more interactive. Now, I mean, you're not going to get, you know, the great people as your, as your tutor or anything. Mm. But, you know, if you want to get that sort of top-tier expertise and just expose yourself to it, um, that's the way to go. Now, this is very much sort of in the arts, food, sports, that kind of thing. But it's there for you. Uh, now, unfortunately, it's got the smallest number of courses that I've come across. It's, it's got fewer than 200 courses, but you know, it does have really interesting people giving them. Wow. That's, and what's the name of that site again? That's masterclass.com. Masterclass.com. Perfect. I'm sure there'll be a lot interested in that. Now, we're just out of time, but thanks for joining us and giving us that information this morning and Happy New Year to you. And Happy New Year. Thanks, Niall. That's Niall Kitson there from techcentral.ie. Just before we go to the break, bring you a couple of texts. Um, on the issue of New Year's resolutions, listener says, I'm not making any. There's too much pressure all around us to conform to advice through media to make a change. It's not good for people's mental health to assume we must make a change or a new habit. Another listener on WhatsApp says, Oh Lord, I want to lose a bit of weight for the new year, but I've three boxes of sweets still unopened. Um, can the new year start in February? And so say all of that's the worst, isn't it? This time of year, it's all leftover sweets and they're a killer. Calling to you from inside in the press, it's a killer. Anyway, the phone lines are still open 083 311 We're back with news. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.
Welcome back to Tip Today. The phone lines are open 1800 or you can text or WhatsApp 083 311 We'd be delighted to hear from you this morning. The first Tip Today of 2023. Now, Old Moore's Almanac is 259 years old and is most famous for its predictions of future events, both here in Ireland and across the world. For example, before it happened, Old Moore's said that Kate Middleton already had a baby on board before it had been announced officially and that her name would be Charlotte. And it also predicted the pandemic a year before it happened, also that Putin would have a health crisis and cause a scandal. As well as the world-famous predictions, the 2023 edition includes the usual groundbreaking features. Nicole Buckler is the editor of The Old Almanac and she joins me now. Nicole, good morning. Good morning. Good to talk to you this morning, Nicole. Could you tell us first about the old almanac? What exactly is it? So, as you said, it's been around for 259 years. And it was originally started as, like, it had the predictions from the start, which is really interesting. But it was started by a guy who was considered to be quite the Merlin. Now, this was an Irish guy from County Offaly who moved kind of near Dublin to a place called Milltown, which was a separate town from Dublin back then. And he taught maths and science, and he could speak all these languages like Greek, which was really unusual for the time. And he lived a really long life, like almost 100 years, which back then was amazing. And so he continued that. So he continued that his whole life, from the time he was a young man all the way through the end, and then then the, the almanac has continued, and we actually think it's probably one of the oldest almanacs in Europe, if not the world. So um, when did he die? Um, so it was started 259 years ago, and he was about 100. So, um, But also you can actually go and see his grave in the Drumcondra um, graveyard in Dublin, okay. in the north of Dublin. So yeah, how, so he, how yeah, then he, are you still able to get predictions um, for, for this day and age? So we continue the tradition, but um, I'm the editor, but we, ha- we have someone who is a psychic that works for us. And okay. he, the only thing we're allowed to say, yeah, he flies under the radar, but he doesn't want to be known. So he works for us. He And the only thing we can say about him is he's in his 50s, he lives in the north side of Dublin, and he works with the stock markets. And that's all we're allowed to say about him. And he, um, we've had a lot of people try and get private um, sessions with him. He just doesn't do it. So we've had celebrities ask us, as Irish celebrities ask us, if we can hook him up, and we have to say no because he doesn't do private. Okay. So how does he make his predictions then? So he makes his predictions for us every year, and he just emails him to us. Okay. <laughs> and then we just put him in the book. Yeah. So he does his predictions for the year, and it's just what he says. He what he says because I think all psychics are different. But what he says is he sees newspaper headlines from the future. Okay, that's what he says. But he also says that the future isn't entirely set. So yeah. he says there are variables there. We have do have some control over the options in front of us. And that's what I wonder. After mm. the event, could it can it be relative? O- almost like Nostradamus. Mm. That, you know, it's not clear when we're reading it, but we can fix something to it after the event. Mm. Well, he does do some really specific um, predictions. Like, his celebrity predictions are pretty good. Like, he said the Rebel Wilson would have a baby. Now, he made that prediction in November of 21, mm. and she wasn't even in a relationship then that we knew about. And all of a sudden, we wake up one day and she's got family. And that yeah. was like, oh, that's right, he predicted that. But he does make some very specific predictions. So mm. tell us what he's predicted then for this year. So, um, Trump forever in the news, this guy. Um Severe health warning for Trump. 
So when he says that, severe health warning, it can be quite a catastrophic um, prediction. So um, that's an interesting one to keep an eye on. I think Trump is almost about 80 now, so, you know, he does have to look after himself. Um, there's some interesting ones about Ireland, like, for example, um, house prices will rise a little bit more. It won't be really fast rising, but it'll still rise, unfortunately, for people who are trying to buy a house. Um an Atlantic event affects the west coast of Ireland. Now, last year he predicted that there would be a, a kind of tsunami, and that happened in County Cork. There was this really weird tidal surge. Mm. So what he says, the weather stuff is usually pretty spot on. Um, another interesting one is, and I think this is a very happy, positive one, is that Team Mars will be chosen. Now, I'm assuming that's something about Elon Musk and his project to get people to Mars. So Team Mars will be chosen. So I think that's very hopeful if you're into sort of like Mars stuff. Yeah. Um, there's always there's always one that's a little bit out there and he says there'll be news about aliens in 2023. So that's okay. one to look out for. Are, are they very vague or is he more specific about that? Um, no, that's as much as details. Well, there's more in the book. So I think these are the ones I can just say okay. now as a, like a, as a teaser. So I can't go into too much detail. <laughs> in terms of celebrities, he said Megan and Harry will have money and marriage problems. Okay. Poor old Megzi and Hazza causing problems for themselves. Um, and an interesting one that he said that's already sort of come true is that he said there would be, the Pope would be in the news and there will be a change of Pope. So we've just had that, that one of the older Popes die. So... I don't know if that relates to... Sometimes you don't know by until the end of the year. You don't know whether it's related to a really current event or something else will unfold. Mm. So that's an interesting prediction. He does do sporting predictions as well. So Gaelic football is Kerry and Hurling or Ireland is Limerick for 2023. So they're predicting Limerick will win the All-Ireland this year in the Hurling and Kerry in the football. That's what the prediction is, yeah. Wow. Well, we'll have to wait and mm. see. In terms of weather then, does it predict weather events for the year? Yes. So in 2022, he predicted a scorcher for a summer and a snow dump in the winter. So um, he still says that January is going to be a snow dump um, and there was a scorcher. But he says same again for 2023. Same again. It's going to be a really, really nice summer, hot summer, and then cold, cold, cold and snow dump at the end. Okay. Mm. So some people look might say, and it, yeah, and some mm. people might say it's easy to predict that because we're in a cycle now of what some might say is climate change. So we are seeing these extremes of temperatures um, with each season. So this is something that's easy to predict. What would you say to that? Um, I think that it's not that easy to predict because I think Irish weather, I mean, I li- I've lived in Ireland for 20 years and when I was first there in 2000, the summers were absolutely beautiful and the winters were mild. And then all of a sudden it became rain for like four years, rain, 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 rain. Then it was back to like 2018, 2009. They were all really beautiful summers and proper winters. So mm-hmm. I don't know, I do think that it is, it is variable and he does seem to get it right every time. Another worrying thing for people, it's predicting an internet outage across the world. And you know what's interesting about that and radio is I listen to radio now on my phone. I don't even have a radio anymore. I listen to it on my phone. Yeah. So what happens when all, when the whole internet goes down? We're not even going to be able to listen to radio. Oh, my God, we have to knit and talk to each other. That's going to be terrible. We'll have to get back to the basic ways of living, I think. Um, another <laughs> oh, yeah. thing then as well, um, big tech companies will merge and fall, it's predicting. Do Any more detail on who those companies may be? 
Yeah, he kind of tends to stick to big tech. So his predictions, like for example, in 2022, he said there would be a, um, what would be in the news would be a social media company that offered free speech. And I find that fascinating in terms of Twitter yeah. 2.0. Um, so that was a really fascinating prediction. When he says that, he, he's really talking about the big ones, Amazon, Google, all those ones. And we already know Amazon is in a bit of trouble. And they've also um, given everyone a warning about an oncoming recession. So that might be Amazon, I would say. That's my guess, knowing how he does his predictions. In terms mm. of financial events, then, he's predicting a recession, but also a reordering. What does that mean? So I think this is along the, along the lines of the Great Reset. So I think that um, he, does, he does a lot of predictions about cryptocurrency. Like he was predicting about Bitcoin rising as early as 2011 and 12. That's how come I got into Bitcoin in 2013. So because he's my little buddy, mm. <laughs> I took his advice. So I think what he says is it's more going to be about a reordering of the financial system. So we'll move to a digital currency. And already Ireland is talking about doing a digital currency for Ireland that is outside of the euro. So... That would be interesting. And also, the euro is also looking to do a digital, like a like a digital currency, a digital um, like Bitcoin, but yeah. for Europe. So, and also the Britcoin is already underway. So, I think that's kind of the reordering is going to a totally different system and, and getting rid of cash, which can be good or bad. But he said overall it will be better. Is this what's leading to the bank run that he's also predicting? So, I think that he said there's a recession, but there's also a depression there in the future. So he says that the, there will be a bank run. Now, that could be to do with fiat money. So that could be just, you know, banks saying you can't withdraw anything and everyone wanting to get their money. So mm. that's one thing to look out for. He's kind of really good with the financial stuff. Mm. For this, <laughs> absolutely. And for the space news then as well, he's predicting a close call in 2023 with an asteroid. Yes, asteroid in the news. He says it's too close for comfort. Now, this might be one they missed till the last minute, but I'm really scared of asteroids. I don't know about I anyone know. else, but you know, the, yeah, I've watched too many disaster movies. You know, with the <laughs> asteroid that's too close. I've, I've watched like ten of those, and now I'm like demented when he says, "Asteroid, got to watch an asteroid." But he's kind of funny because he once predicted that there would be um, some landing on an asteroid, and he predicted that years ago. And then recently, there was some craft that landed on an asteroid and did all this study on it and I just thought that's such a weird thing to predict and it's such a weird thing to come true. Yeah, it'll, you know what we'd love to talk to you maybe the end of 2023 and see yes. exactly what happened but for anyone who's looking to yep. get the, the full detail of these predictions for this year how can they do that? So they can buy the book at any newsagent or they can go online at oldmoresalmanac.com and they can get a copy there and it's delivered in a couple of days. Perfect. Nicole, great to talk to you this morning and thanks for those predictions. My All the best. Thanks a million. That's uh, Nicole there who is the editor of The Old Almanac speaking to us from Australia this morning. Um, just some of the big ones, I suppose, for us that are coming out of that. Probably the sporting ones. So it's predicting that Kerry will take the football crown this year and Limerick will uh, take the hurling. So let us know what you think on that 083-311-3311 or 1800 A listener says, no one can predict the future, only God. Their information is not coming from a good source, like fortune tellers coming from an evil force. It's interesting, actually, you mentioned fortune tellers because it's one of the letters we got in for Dear Phil, which we'll be talking about just after 11 this morning. And it's from a lady who's concerned that uh, her mum is um, has become a bit obsessed with going to fortune tellers and she's a bit worried for her about what this could mean. So she's seeking advice from Phil later on this morning. Phil will be live in studio with us just after 11. We're back after this break. 
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Facon, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Facon, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. Are you considering ditching meat this new year? Well, maybe it's for your health or for the environment, but cutting animal products from your diet can be a tricky task at first. Veganuary is an event that encourages non-vegans to adopt a vegan diet during the month of January. Jerry Boland is the founder of and spokesperson for Animals Behind Closed Doors. He joins me on the line now. Jerry, good morning. Good morning, Alison. Good to talk to you this morning, Jerry. Now, can we start our first, explain to listeners exactly what Veganuary is. Um, Veganuary, it's a UK um, charity and it was founded um, only two, in eight years ago, actually, that's all, or nine years ago, 2014. And it um, essentially, it is a charity which encourages people to give up eating meat and dairy for the whole month of January, a 31-day challenge. And what they do is, if you sign up for it, it's free. Um, if you sign up for it, they, and they've become very sophisticated, very streamlined, it's a fantastic organisation, they send you daily emails on, um, you know, practical emails on how you can give up eating, how you can become vegan, the dietary aspects of it, all the different aspects of it. And then they encourage you, obviously, to run that into the rest of your life, basically. So last year, um, 620,000 people signed up for Veganuary. And I think they did, a, they did a survey afterwards. I think something like 80-something 80, 80 percent of people continued on with the vegan diet for the rest of the year. Um, so that's what it is. Um, it's mm. fairly new as an idea, and it's a brilliant way to start off the year. I've been vegan myself for a long, long time, long before Veganuary started. Um, but it's a fantastic initiative. There is a difference, isn't there, between vegetarian and vegan? Um, and I think people mix that up sometimes. Vegan isn't just meat. It, it's quite strict. Um, yeah, well, it's strict, yeah. If, if, you're, if you live as a vegan and a vegan lifestyle, you don't regard it as strict. But if you're coming from, you know, a meat-eating diet all of your life, and I, you know, I was a meat-eater myself for a long, long time, well, then it does seem, you know, pretty extreme, maybe. But it's yeah. not at all. Essentially, vegan is... A vegetarian, you, um, you you still consume products of animals like eggs and milk and cheese, etc. Um, but for, um, if you're following a vegan lifestyle, um, you exclude all animal products from your diet and also from your clothing and from you know from your lifestyle. It's it's it, it's kind of a way of life as opposed to just a specifically a diet. It's not just a diet. It's a way. It's a compassionate way of living. That that's the way I would look at it. So I presume then, Jerry, that means no leather when it comes to clothing. What else are you limited to then with clothing? Um, well, um, it's no animal products at all, yeah. if, if possible. Like so, no wool, obviously. Yeah. No, um, um, because at the end of the day, Alison, and you know, people know this. The end result for all animals is the slaughterhouse. So. You know, we raise our animals for wool, but we slaughter them then when you know when we're done with them. So, but can the I vegan ask life. Why, yeah. why wool? Because wool is like sheep aren't killed for wool. It actually benefits the sheep to shear them in in the summer. So, why would wool be included? Um, well, because sheep don't grow wool for us. They they do they grow wool to keep themselves warm, and um, we. At the end result is that the animal always goes to slaughter, you know. So, like, essentially, sheep are 
the, the part of the meat-eating machine, if you know what I mean. Like they always end up going into the slaughterhouse, and you know we use their wool um, because it suits us. But actually, you know, it's it's not ours to use. That's that's the basic philosophy of the, of the um, you know of the vegan movement. Just that animals are not here just for us to use and exploit. Um, yeah, but no, you know, I understand. But the, the only issue I have is is with wool because it benefits the sheep to shear them. If you weren't she- to shear a sheep, they'd be covered in maggots. They'd be uncomfortable. They'd get sores. So it, why not use the? If anything, you're kind of recycling a waste product. Would you not be? Or do I have a very well, romantic view of it? <laughs> no, you don't. Um, like it depends on where you're getting your wool from, of course, as okay. well, because a lot a lot of the wool that we use um, isn't Irish wool, although certainly some of it is. Um, a lot of the wool is imported. And um, so, for instance, there are massive welfare issues in relation to um, large-scale sheep farming in Australia, for instance, mm. um, where, you know, it definitely does not benefit the sheep in any shape or form to have them um, to have them in that industry because it's just a huge industry and there are huge welfare issues with that. So um, I suppose... You know, if if you're a vegan, I can understand where you're coming from in relation to the wool. Um, but if you're a vegan, you just don't want to use anything to do with the animal. And um, if people want to use wool in some shape or form, like it's 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 a smaller element of it, but that yeah. definitely, yeah, yeah, definitely. That so I, you know, I've been vegan for about thirty years. So, um, and when I gave up using meat, I didn't really think of becoming vegan. At all, in fact, um, it never occurred to me to be giving up wool or giving up leather. It's only when I kind of read about and and discovered more about the, you know, the whole industry and how exploitative and abusive it is of, of animals. And I know that's a view that a lot of people, your listeners, won't won't hold, but it's it's a view that I would hold and a lot of vegans would hold. Do you think that that's a natural progression, Jerry? That if you decide to go vegetarian um, and you, you you get passionate about it, you get more interested in it, that you naturally then will go more vegan? I think if you give up eating animals for the sake of the animals, I think the chances of you going down the vegan lifestyle is very high. I think if you give up eating animals for maybe health reasons or other reasons, that may not be the case. Mm. But I think there's so much information now in relation to, you know, the planet and the carbon footprint of animal agriculture generally. Um, I think now there is a there is a real impetus now for people to continue the journey. So certainly people do give up eating meat, you know, in their teens or whatever, and then maybe a couple of years later they give you know, they go back to eating meat. But my experience over thirty years of being a vegan is that almost every vegan I've ever met who gave it up for the animals, you know, ended up being vegan. And tell me about the benefits that you found in yourself when you went vegan. Well, physical health, mental health. Um, I felt much more alive. I felt um, much more mentally alert. Um, I have a lot of energy. You know, I'm in my 60s now and I'm extremely healthy. I don't really have any health issues at all. And um, so I found found it quite um, astonishing, really, how how much better I felt. Um, the other thing that happened with me is that I wasn't particularly interested in food when I gave up when I, you know, when I was eating meat. And when I became vegan, I, I became interested in food because I think you have to, in a sense, because you know, I, I don't recommend people to kind of give up eating meat and then just going into supermarkets and buying all, you know, the vegan sausages yeah. etc. I don't think that's the way to go. So I think there is a bit of work to be done in relation to 
you know, eating good food. So I eat, I do eat good food. So I became very interested in food and I became interested in cooking. And, you know, like cooking and eating is very much part of our lives. And, you know, we've commodified it to such an extent now that we go into supermarkets and we just buy packaged stuff. So, yeah. uh, I, you know, there's a lot to be said for taking the time to cook a nice meal. Can I be nice very ingredients. Can I be very nosy, Jerry, and ask you to take me through a typical day? What would you have for breakfast, lunch and dinner? Um, well, there isn't a typical day with me. Okay. So it depends, and it depends on what um, produce is available. I do try to buy locally as much as possible, but that's not always possible. I usually start the day with porridge and a juice. I usually just have lemon juice and I usually have toast and um, some kind of spread. There's lots of nice vegan spreads now. Um, and then I might snack during the day. I usually have a meal during the day. It could be a salad um, with quinoa or with millet or with any of those kind of things. And then at the evening time, I usually have a, um, you know, a proper meal around 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock. Um, and that could be a stir fry, could be a casserole, um, could be a roast, it could be lots of different things. So I do eat a wide range of food. Um, I eat a lot of grains, I eat a lot of um, nuts and seeds, um, I eat a lot of pulses, um, but quite a wide range of things. There was a time years ago where I used to eat brown rice nearly every day. <laughs> And um, I kind of went off that. So yeah. I use a much a more, a wider range of foods now. Like the great thing about veganism is that if you do, um, if you, any of your listeners are interested in signing up for Veganarian, as I said, it is free and I'm not promoting them because I'm not involved in the organization. Um, the, 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 the amount of information you get, like on a daily basis, the emails, is really brilliant. It makes it very easy for you. Like, you know, 30 years ago or even 10 years ago, it was much more difficult to make the transition to, to veganism, but it's very, very easy now. Okay. Um, is it difficult to eat out as a vegan, or is that becoming mm. a bit easier? Oh, it's become much easier, Alison, much easier. It was difficult for a long, long time. Um, but there was a campaign run on the 1st of um, November last year, um, World Vegan Day, and I was involved in that campaign. And um, what we did was we... Um, approached restaurants and cafes around the country and we asked them if they would be interested in uh, serving a signature vegan dish to celebrate World Vegan Day on the 1st of November. And really, almost every single cafe and restaurant we went into were um, very receptive of the idea and that's because they're getting a lot of vegans coming in all of the time now. So it's it's rare enough to go into a restaurant now, certainly in the cities, it's almost mm. impossible where you wouldn't find it um, at least one vegan dish on the menu. So it's it's becoming much easier. It's still a long way to go, but it's becoming much easier. People are definitely much more open to trying it, certainly. And if they like it, I think it's it probably makes that transition a bit easier, doesn't it? Well, I think it's a very positive thing to do. Like, you know, obviously, if you've been a meat eater all of your life, you're listening to this conversation, you're probably saying, oh, no, not somebody else telling me what to eat. But it's really, um, it's, it's a very positive change in your life, I think, because you're making a very compassionate choice. Um, you're not going to. You're no longer going to be involved in complicit in any way in terms of animal slaughter. Um, you're going to be helping to protect the, um, the planet and the environment. And you are, if you eat well, you are going to be improving your human health. Your, your health is almost. There's so many studies done in relation to um, the health aspects of a veg, of a vegan diet. Um, it, it, it can be. I'm not saying it is definitely going to be. It depends what you're going to eat. But if, we, if you eat well. Um, you know, you're going to um, you're going to live a very healthy life, I think. Yeah. Okay, Jerry. We'll have to leave it there for this morning. Great to talk to you today, and happy New Year.
You too. Thank you. All the best. Thank you. That's Jerry Boland there, animal rights activist and uh, spokesperson and founder of Animals Behind Closed Doors. Joining me now are GP Pat Harold. Pat, good morning to you. Good morning, Ali. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. Many happy returns. Good Christmas, Pat. Was Santi good to you? Oh, thank you. It was great. Good. I must have been very, very on the good <laughs> side of things. You know. <laughs> well, tell me about. I know every second person is sick with this respiratory, whatever the heck it is, this chesty, coffee, nosy thing. It's, it's hitting some people harder than others. What exactly yeah. is it? Well, can I can I just come in there, Andy? I just heard the last bit of your your talk to the the, the vegan man, yeah. and I, I have to take my hat off to him. He, um, I think, in about two hundred years' time, if climate change doesn't get us first, we'll be looking on um, eating animals like we look in slavery now. You know, we, they'd wonder what we were at. You know, um, and why there was we felt the need to eat animals, and it was there was absolutely no need to eat them at all. And it you know good, it's, though, it tastes good, you know, but um, you know, you're you're it, basically a vegan diet lowers the risk of heart disease, and um, you know, a lot of other things. So it's it's not always um, as easy as that, you know, especially if you're younger or older. But um, you know, if everybody took the chance to try and even eat one less meal a week mm-hmm. with meat in it. Yeah. You know, just did away with meat maybe for a day or two. It would lower the carbon footprint hugely. And, um, you know, as he says, you'd be free of all that cruelty. And um, it's, it's sort of freeing yourself from these things. You know? are you, are, would you put fish in with that? Well, yeah, the fishing industry is pretty destructive and horrible too, you know. But I think there's no doubt a bit, little bit of fish is good for you, you know. And, um, you know, little bit of things. But no, we don't need to be slogging meat into ourselves three times a day. Every day, year in, year out. You know, I mean, we're all brought up to that. You know, egg for breakfast and you know, chops for dinner or something. You know, and, and a good breakfast was full of fries and grease and dripping. But, you know, we know more about health now and we know what's good for you and what's bad for you better. And, um, you know, I, I do think if people made a huge conscious decision to, number one, try to grow their own food, which is great for the head and it's great for the planet and it's great for them. And there's all things like if you get a carrot or something from the garden, you know, that's so much full of nutrients and goodness and things like that. Mm. You know, I'm sure we all have the old Brussels sprouts, you know, actually, you know, I'm thinking, I, we bought Brussels sprouts. Now we got them in a, in a market, um, the market in Killaloo and they were organic and they were locally grown and all that would be, you can see, I can grow my own Brussels sprouts, no problem. Yeah. You know, just a little bit of effort. The exercise would be good for me. And um, the, your whole gut is far better, you know, for all that local soil being very close to it. So I can sound like Nevin Maguire here now, yeah. that passion for it, <laughs> but, um, which is nothing wrong with that. But I, I completely agree with Lister. If, if, you know, if, if you make small little changes and it's a good time of the year to do them, but drop as much meat as you can. And if you see a nice vegetarian option out, um, it, it, uh, it would be great. Okay. And Pat, when it comes to um, the viral infection that, that's doing now, the rounds at the moment. The viral, there's three things going around. There's sort of three Christmas number one valley and um, where there's, there's the flu. Uh, it hits you like a hammer. And there's a there's the respiratory, the respiratory syncytial virus. And that's the one that make, gives the babies the bronchiolitis. But that's the kind of the cold and the runny nose and all that. And the third thing is, well, it, the third thing is COVID hasn't gone away at all. And I was just talking here at work this morning. We were saying we're back in a war footing. And it's very difficult to be kind of in a war footing all the time. Because so much gets kicked down the road. And I see in Limerick they're cancelling out patients. That's and they're right. cancelling things. And, you know, and that is its own 
its own problems because, you know, if you're getting an operation, for instance, so you don't get sick and you don't get it and then you get a lot sicker, you know, it builds up on that. But can I ask the listeners just three things if they're if they're ringing their doctors in the next week or so. Um, could, number one, if you have any kind of a cough or a cold or something like that, um, would you do an antigen test? Because there's so many people who just ring us up and we say, would you do the antigen test? And then they're trying to bring back. And every GP in the country knows their phones are absolutely hopping. And we, we're, we're doing our very best to get to everybody. But if you just do the antigen test before you ring, it would be hugely helpful. The other thing is, if you're coming to see us, would you have a mask? Because we're still bound by um, different guidelines. And it's, it's, we have to have a safe space for people to come to. So, you know, people are coming into us who are rheumatoid arthritis and cancer and COPD and this kind of stuff. So they expect our offices to be safe. So um, if you just have the mask and dig it out from somewhere and mm. bring it with you and bring it along. Because a lot we're of people are saying it, it's very difficult even to get through to a doctor's office at the moment. Why is that? Is it a lack of staff or is it volume of calls or what is the issue? It, it's all of the above. It's um, lack of staff, lack of doctors, um, and also people are out sick. Don't forget, we, you know, we've got to, um, you know, um, in hospitals and everywhere, there's an awful lot of people out sick. And it's properly ordered. You, you, can't come to, if you, you can't come to work if you have a cold or a flu, mm. you know, and if you have a job where you can't work at home, you know. So um, an awful lot of reception, nurses and doctors and everything are out sick. Um, so and look, we, to put it by, we don't have enough um doctors in the country. You know, yeah. we know that. We don't have enough GPs. We could do with a heck of a lot more, but that's not going to be much good in the next couple of weeks. But if you just have the mask, it saves scratching around and looking for the thing and all that. And the third thing is, if you're coming in for something like um, the driving licence or an ingrown toenail, an awful people start to suddenly say, oh, by the way, I've got a cough and I've got this and I've got a cold. And, you know, they're, they're sort of putting people at risk, really. That's that, you know, and they, they really shouldn't be out. You know, so you should sort of presume, number one, it's COVID until it's proven otherwise. And two, um, now your GP who knows you will be able to do a lot down the phone, you know, and be able to try and help you out. And I was just thinking as well, you know, they were saying, now don't go to um, doctors or the hospital unless it's necessary yeah. to big casualties. The LIU is the local injury unit, like there's one in Nina. They'll look after most cuts and sprains and bites and scratches and that kind of thing. They won't take head injuries. They won't take if you're pregnant. But like they will, you know, they're they're underutilised really. And the local injury units are always there. And if you have a medical card, they're free. And not of people with private insurance. There's also, I know, um, you know, you can get video link calls at doctors and things. So, you know, just think that some people don't aren't even aware that that's on their insurance. Okay. And and but I know like PHI and they and those um you know, you can actually get hold of a doctor. And if it's something like um an ongoing problem with your back or something, you'd be very much surprised what they can do there. But it means you don't have to leave the house. And another resource that's really good is you just go into under the weather HSE.ie and there's you know, you can look at earache or flu or rash or sore throat, cold, cough, whatever whatever you're worried about, you know. Um, yeah. and, and that will give you a bit of good advice because a lot of the times it's um, stay at home, keep warm, paracetamol, cuddle up, down a fire, Netflix, drop of whiskey, you know, and it'll, it'll pass. But the thing is not to be going out and giving it to other people. Yeah. I know it's the same advice that we're giving for, it seems like for three years now, but uh, we'll have to sit this one out because the RSV is on the rise again. I just saw this morning, we thought it was on the way out. And the flu is going. And you can get vaccinated, don't forget. Um, and especially the children. The, the, the school kids are the ones who are really carrying the flu around the place and getting it. And the vaccination is just hurt up the nose. 
the easiest thing ever. And the GPs and pharmacists are doing that. There's um, reports uh, as well, Pat, in the papers this morning of a shortage of antibiotics. Would you have concerns about that? Yeah, I was looking into this last week and I... I'd be more concerned, to be honest, about antibiotic resistance. Antibiotic resistance is when you went, you're taking antibiotics for viruses and then and resistant strains come out. I think there's enough antibiotics in the country, as far as I know. I know the ICGP um, um, person is in charge of this kind of thing, said that they were reassured that they were there. But I know um, chemists are having trouble getting specific antibiotics. So they might often um, change them slightly. So, um, you know, the ones that you're getting in solution, for instance, for the kids, they might have to um, give you a slightly different one. Okay, Pat, we'll have to leave it there for this morning. Okay, take care, Happy New Year. Bye-bye. All the best. That's Pat Harrell there. Coming up after the break, global politics, uh, Thomas Conway standing by. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Welcome back to Tip Today. It's time to talk global economics and Thomas Conway, a politics and economics student, joins me now. Thomas, good morning. Happy New Year to you. Good morning, Ali. Many happy returns. Great to talk to you this morning. We'll head straight into it because I know it might have been maybe quiet news-wise over Christmas and New Year, but globally, it's really been happening. It has really been happening and there is an awful lot set to happen in the year ahead. From an African perspective, a number of big things happening, the most significant of which is probably the Nigerian presidential election. So that's due to take place in February. And it's it's worth reminding people, Nigeria is the largest economy on the African continent. It's also the most populous country, home to over 211 million people. The reason this election, though, is so significant is we have a candidate from the Labour Party, a man named Peter Obi, who we previously previewed on this show, actually, who is becoming a front-runner. And it would be a major blow to the political establishment. Now, it is expected to be a tight race. The two mainstream candidates are guys called Bolo Tinubu and Atitu Abubakar. Abu Bakr has run for president no less than six times. So he's used to this kind of thing. God loves a trier. He said this will be his last. I read a profile about him in the Irish Times last week. He said this will be his last go, uh, his last bid for the presidency. And by all accounts, it looks like it will be a battle between Abu Bakr and Obi. Now, the implications of who wins this could be really significant for Africa, because Peter Obi, as we discussed previously on the programme, he styled himself as kind of a, a reformist leader with, with an, an innovative edge. He appeals to young people. He has kind of captured the imagination of a lot of young people across Nigeria, which is significant. Now, he's a Christian and a large proportion of the Nigerian population is not Christian, so that may militate against him. But it will be very, very interesting. Ultimately, how I would describe this, it's a race between kind of a futuristic forward thinker, thinker uh, Peter Obi, and then the mainstream political establishment. So it is set to be very, very interesting. Whoever comes out on top could shape Nigeria. Obi's quite charismatic as well, isn't He's he? quite There's charismatic. There's a whiff of Obama about him. There's a whiff, yeah, and he has the common touch as well, yeah. which I think is the reason he's appealed to many young people. You know, he's made things like tackling crime, uh, restoring economic growth, top of his agenda. So, you know, he's clever. He has a good track record. He was previously governor of one of Nigeria's largest states. He has a good track record and it will be very interesting to see. He might make a good president. 
Yeah, it, it's, it's going to be a tight and probably the next few weeks of it will probably get quite dirty. And It will, it will. Inevitably, these yeah. campaigns do turn and there are lots of dirty tricks used. But I mean, the eyes of the world will be looking at Nigeria because as I said, Africa's wealthiest country, Africa's most populous country and Africa really is a continent on the rise. But unfortunately, though, it's really suffering in terms of debt, more so than anywhere else. That's the thing. And if anything is to restrain Africa, if anything is to hold it back, it will be the massive amounts of debt which a lot of African countries have incurred or are presently incurring. Various countries across the continent are sinking deeper into practically unsustainable levels of debt, ruinous levels of debt, is how I would describe it. The IMF has issued stark warnings. It's suggested that up to 25 countries in Africa are now experiencing severe debt strains. Now, it is said comprehensive debt relief and restructuring programmes are badly needed. But people will obviously ask the question, you know, who is this debt to? Or to whom does the money? And a lot of it is to China. China has invested huge amounts of money in Africa. But as a result a lot of countries are now beholden to it. So we see countries like, you know, America and China, we'll talk about them in a second, are the two major superpowers. They're trying to increase their influence over countries in Asia and Africa. And a lot of the African countries have taken money and infrastructural investment from China, but they now are kind of in a debt trap with them. So it's very interesting. It could well restrain a lot of them. And if if nothing is done to resolve the situation, it's probably just going to deteriorate further. So it's a concern. What could China do to recoup that? Well, there, there are lots of things, but I mean, it has its influence. We see with the war in Ukraine, a lot of African countries haven't been on the side of the West. They've remained ostensibly neutral mm. in the war in Ukraine. In the broader geopolitical battle between the US and China, China is banking on these countries' support uh, against the US. So that is that is kind of the payback, if you like. It's it's almost a quid pro quo. Pre, quid pro quo, uh, if, if, you, if you were to look at it that way. Mm. To um, Asia now, we were talking about China and it will be a big year for Xi Jinping. Big year for Xi Jinping. Now, 2022 was also a big year for Xi Jinping, but it was not really a good year. Yeah. Now, he consolidated his grip on power. He secured... He secured another term at the Communist Party Congress back in October. He's due to be ratified for another term as president earlier th- early this year. But there is no mistaking it. His zero COVID policy has been an absolute disaster. And getting worse every day. And getting worse. And we see as China now tries to reopen, radically reopen and shift its stance, we see the implications of that. Italy has imposed a van on, on Chinese visitors certain other countries may do the same. The low immunity to the virus across China as a result of that zero COVID policy is going to wreak havoc and it's going to it's going to tire diplomatic relations with China. But we also have to remember the effects on the Chinese economy. It has an ailing property market. Economic growth has effectively stagnated. Policymakers are scrambling to to invent and come up with new measures to try and uh, try and restore or precipitate economic growth, and then you have the added dynamic of China's relationship with Russia, which is very very interesting because I think myself Xi Jinping quietly disapproves of Vladimir Putin's invasion, really? not so much the invasion itself, how it's gone, 
how it has been so disastrous for Russian forces on the ground. We see so many of them killed in that attack over the weekend. I think China is probably uncomfortable. I've said this before in the programme. It sees Russia as useful, a potentially useful asset, but not indispensable. So in other words, it can dispose with it um, if it sees fit. Mm. So that's very interesting. And the final issue with China, Taiwan. This is the major issue and it, it is a serious bone of contention between the West more broadly and China. Will China make a move on Taiwan? Probably unlikely, certainly unlikely this year. In the near future, perhaps. Now, the US has said it will defend China militarily. So that brings up the prospect of uh, some kind of military conflagration between the two. So very interesting to see what happens there. Keep an eye on it. Now, we only have a couple of minutes left, so I'd love to talk about the Americas because I think that's, you know, looking over the fence at our neighbours, that's where all the drama will be this year, I think. Yeah, and and I love American politics. I love talking about it. And, you know, this year, it's not an election year, so we had the midterm elections in November. Obviously, the 2024 presidential election, people have their eye on that, and the race is going to seriously hot up this year. The big question, I think on the lips of many across Washington and the US more broadly, is will the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, challenge Donald Trump for the Republican nomination? And, you know, various polls across multiple states in the US have suggested that DeSantis is more popular than Trump. We should remember a lot of the Trump-endorsed candidates in the midterm elections performed very poorly. They lost Mm. in the vast majority of cases. So Ron DeSantis is this, he's young, he's he's unafraid, he's fearless, you know, has a good record as governor of Florida, performed well during Hurricane Ian earlier this year. He is going to, at some stage, make a bid for the presidency. The only question is, could he sit this one out maybe? How do you think he would perform in terms of international diplomacy? Do you think he's up to that task? Well, that is that is the major question, you see, and, and he is untested at that. Because he's been governor of Florida, you know, he's focused on internal issues. He, uh, he was a House representative. He was in the House of Representatives previously, but he will come under scrutiny for his foreign policy stances. That is really where the challenge lies mm. for Ron DeSantis. Can he convince the American audience more broadly uh, to tackle the major outstanding issues? Because, you know, you look back at Trump's record and it's kind of, it's funny in a way because a lot of the policies Joe Biden has implemented are almost continuation on a foreign policy, from a foreign policy perspective, is almost a continuation of President Trump. You know, he has remained hard on China. He's actually challenged Europe in terms of economic and domestic policy. Now, he's done it in a very different way, a much more diplomatic and friendly way than previously. But that will certainly be a challenge for Ron DeSantis. And, of course, President Biden, Joe Biden, uh, will he make a run again? He has said he will, and there is no viable successor within the Democratic Party. So, at this point... You know, I can't see I can't see anyone but President Joe Biden to run again. It's, it's, I couldn't imagine him running again when he first got it. It's very strange. Well, look, he, he's eighty years of age yeah. now. Now he has looked better, I think, in recent weeks. But sometimes you see him, and he, you know, he looks a bit uh, he a little bit all over the place. You kind of worry, you know, has you know, will age has to catch up on people yeah. somehow? Yeah, and will, will he make a next uh, mm. a next fight? Maybe I know there's lots to talk about, but we're over time at the moment. But very quickly, some of the main things you'll be looking out for in the new year. Yeah, well, obviously, obviously Ukraine. obviously Ukraine, obviously Ukraine, and you know, 
President Zelensky has said that he hopes this year peacetime will be achieved. Vladimir Putin on a completely different page. The big question, I think, this year is will some kind of diplomatic solution to the crisis be positive? Will policymakers uh, from both Russia and Ukraine get around the table? Will Vladimir Zelensky and Vladimir Putin set around the table? Very hard to see that happening at this point. But you never know because, you know, as fatalities mount and as as war wreaks havoc on, on both countries now, it should be said, you know, will the Russian public continue to protest and maybe force Vladimir Putin's hand? Mm. And then you have the EU and its role in this, you know, and its support for Ukraine. A lot of Ukraine's... Ukraine's prospects in this war depend on external factors and that's the support of the US and the EU and other NATO powers. So that is the one to watch over the coming year and I suppose we hope and pray that uh, that peace will be achieved and Ukraine gets yeah. its country back. Okay, we'll look forward to talking to you about it every week, Thomas. Yeah, Happy we New s- Year certainly will. Thank you very much. Happy many ever returns. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie For every problem, there's a solution. Dear Phil, on Tip Today with Phil Prendergast. It's a new year and new problems and Phil Prenegast-Ragniant is in the studio. Good morning, Phil. Happy New Year. Good morning, Alison. Good morning to everybody listening and a happy new year to you all. I hope it brings everything you'd want for yourselves and others. How was the Christmas? You got struck down by this old virus as well? Yeah, we we all got the the old chest thing, yeah. It was quite debilitating, really. But I suppose, you know what? It gave us time to breathe and relax and Mm. not be too exercised. So, yeah, quite Christmas, really enjoyable, apart from the illness. But yeah. yeah, we got over it, thank God. Would you be one now for resolutions? We were talking about them this morning. People very divided on whether they're a good thing or a bad thing and whether you should be bothered with them. Would you set yourself resolutions? See, I would set myself, I nearly always do dry, dry January anyway, but I think that's probably good after the excesses at Christmas. But um, I think it's important that you shouldn't be led and said by a day or a time. But mm. you kind of know yourself if you've got to make some changes, for instance, in terms of losing weight or regaining fitness or trying to achieve some degree of a routine that's going to be beneficial to your health and your mental health in particular. And um, I just think it's possibly a good idea, but I'm not so sure that this is the time of the year that people should do it. You should pick a date and just say, look, I'm starting then and that's when mm. I'll do it. But I personally prefer to start on New Year's Eve and say, I'm, I'm going to do this, this and this. And so far, I'm after sticking to it apart from the five accidental chocolates I ate yesterday. <laughs> and you're only two days in. Yeah, but five, they were accidental. Like, you know, they were there. But they have to be finished. Like, there's no point starting something like that when they're still in the house. <laughs> Get rid of them first and then do it. I suppose the big thing is that uh, I decided there and then that's it now. That's the end of them. Will you stick to it? No. Ah, you will, Phil. I believe in you. Okay, we'll go um, some very varied letters this week for the the first ones of 2023. We'll bring you the first one. Letter one. My wife and I have been separated for a couple of years now. The last few years of our marriage were tough and we didn't get on. The inevitable split was also at times quite messy and acrimonious. But we've gotten to a place now where we're at least cordial to each other. We share two children who are both under 10 and have settled into a good routine of access. We also both have new partners who we are each living with. 
what we have tended to do for birthday parties before with the kids is that we would each have individual ones. The kids didn't mind, of course, because they got two parties. But my ex-wife has said she wants to put an end to it because it's expensive. And she feels we're in a good enough place now that we can share these events together. My son's seventh birthday is coming up and it's due to be my turn. So we had planned on having a bouncy castle and cake at myself and my partner's house. My ex-wife has now messaged asking if she and her partner can come. I said I wasn't sure if I was ready for that yet and would have to think about it. I just feel it would be awkward and uncomfortable for everyone there. And I don't think we are that comfortable with each other yet. Should I just go along with it to make sure I don't rock the boat or should I say that we need to continue separate birthdays for another while more? Well, reading this, Alison, I just said to myself, why on earth would you have two parties for a child? So there's four parties a year going on for mm. these two children. So that in itself is is an excess in itself. So I also would look at the idea that the the husband is going, it's his turn to have the thing, but having a bouncy castle in January. I, I don't see how that fits into the equation at all because you can imagine the muck and the dirt and the weather is it's, it's just if not. If a child wants a bouncy castle, Phil, Look, a child will I, have a I'd be castle. having a bouncy castle inside, I think, or a bounce off your mantle. Anyway, um, so I just think they need to, re, to, to manage expectations here. Why would they have four parties when they can have two parties and why don't they rotate them from one year to the next? The child is seven. I'm assuming, and I'm possibly wrong, but we will be corrected before the end of the show, if this is the oldest child or if the girl is older. But either way, they're of an age where you can say, look, mummy and daddy are not going to have two different parties. You're going to have a party at dad's this year and it'll be a party here next year. And you can do a date with him during the summer when it might be more appropriate to have uh, a bouncy castle and have the two of them have a day where they can bring some friends over and manage it that way rather than this ridiculous message that they're sending the children being delighted to get two parties each that this is not something that's it's feasible The, the woman is obviously has to have has changed everything she does and now she's finding these parties individually expensive mm. and I mean really and truly if people just had a bit of sense about what they do for their kids parties if they had a date with them and went off somewhere nice maybe to go on a trip and go on an open bus top trip and again I'm very cognizant of the weather and what you can do at different times but there's loads of indoor activities that can be done that can be give, give the child a great day out if you put the idea that it has to be a party with loads of people coming and you're going to an additional expense, it's something that you just need to review. Is this even sensible? Are you doing the best thing for your child? Are you doing the best thing for your purse? Are you doing the best thing for taking advantage of the weather? When people have birthdays that are at times in the year where it's not going to be good for outside activities. Mm. So that would be my view on that. I do think they need to sit down and have a rethink about how it's done and just say to the children, yeah, dad's doing the party this year I'll be doing the party next year and let them go and do a competition there if they like but I think this way is going to be better she just needs to manage how they do things I wouldn't be thinking that it's a good idea to go to the other partner's house and bring your partner along neither of them wanting to be there and possibly the, the woman and her former husband or her former husband and this wife didn't want to be together anyway so yeah. like let's put the children first in this but don't be putting in this bowl 
of having two parties because you're now separated. What, what does it say for the future? And what if she has another child with her partner and he has another child with his partner? It's just opening up the floodgates. And I think they need to manage this now. Seven year old, look, they're very easy to deal with. You should, you know, they should sit down and have the chats. I feel like his issue as well is he's he's not ready to go into that next phase yet of blending the families. But is that just a case of kind of sucking it up and doing it until it gets comfortable? No, I, do, I think they just need to think this is about a party for a child's birthday. It should be that it's dad's turn this year. He's doing the party. It'll be my turn next year. I'll be doing the party. It doesn't stop dad coming along and giving a present or coming on a visit on the day. It doesn't stop the mum going to visit there and and give the present if they're going to be uh, with him for a period of time. I don't know what their access rights are or whether they, they have overnights and stuff like that because obviously when you get a problem in it's usually just to the nub of what the problem is. We don't mm. know the background. But I certainly think that there's an opportunity here to have a grain of sense and say instead of having a party, a party in January it's hard to manage unless you have an indoor space that you can accommodate, yeah. unless you can have you know, you can give them activities that they're going to like, but most of all I think if, if a child knew they were going to go off on a trip or something they, they would just love it. And maybe the outdoor place is the answer to it because you're on neutral territory, nobody's on anyone's turf and you're, it's about two hours you're in and out and yeah, that's it. Yeah, exactly and, and it's over and you can see an end to it yeah. whereas parties can drag on and then the, the, again the problem with parties is if the kids are in school um not being in not being the kid that's not being the kid that's not asked yeah that can create difficulties because seven there's a realization that parties are great places and oh i wasn't asked mm. that can be very hard so i think parties are something that people should relook really at and see how best you can meet the needs of your child and what you can do. And if you can have a date day with your child and go and do something quite special, that's a great thing. Yeah. And in terms of blending the families then? Should you they see, do it? Why, why should they even blend? This woman and her ex-partner had, had two children. Um, they, there's no need... You know, they can blend as much as they want. I'm sure the kids go over there for overnights and it's quite quite fine. But, like, it's... it's, it's, an, it's this, it's a symptom of our society now. That is, we have lots of blended families yeah. and they manage the finest. But I do think you need to have a degree of sense. The kids should not be getting double yeah. the presents, double the parties, because their parents happen to be unblended right now. Yeah, and they probably might feel a bit guilty about it and have done in the early years of it and then there was just a continuation of it. The thing about it is, I suppose, there's bravery in deciding that the marriage isn't working. Yeah. Um, and and that in itself can be a healthy thing. These kids are very young, um, mm. but they're very impressionable. But obviously, as well, they kind of know two parties, fantastic. Yeah, two of lots course of presents. They won't want that but to end. They won't want it. Yeah. But I mean, there is a way of getting around that by having a very special treat, going to maybe a pantomime or something like that. Yeah. But it it should be more about the child and you know, what they'll do to remember the day. Um, parties per se, I think, are probably, you know, I, I think people are reviewing the whole expense and the outlets and mm. even insurance with bouncy castles and stuff like that. Yeah. But certainly a January weather doesn't doesn't really go with bouncy castle, I think. OK, letter number two then. I've just had my first child and while I should be basking in the glow of being a new mother, I'm not because my family is at war. Just after my daughter was born, my mother said that I need to contact the 
priest fast and get a christening booked. I told her I decided I wasn't going to christen the baby at all and I might consider it in a few years' time. My mother went mad and said that I was a disgrace and what would happen if the baby died and wasn't christened? She said the baby would go straight to hell. I was so mad and told her to comp onto herself and we had a blowout over it. We haven't spoken since. Other members of the family have tried to get through to her that it's not something that everybody does anymore. I've also had some of her allies coming to me saying just get her christened to settle it. But that's not good enough in my mind. I won't back down over this and feel um, that my mother is being very unfair and ruining what's supposed to be the happiest time of my life. What should I do? See, I think this is very much a parental choice. There's all these different cultures in this country now. There's different beliefs. There's her granny is, her mom is very traditional in terms of wanting what was done in the Catholic ethos. You know, you got the child baptised and christened and, you know, it was all part and parcel of it and that still is very important to an awful lot of people mm. um, um, but the mother here is trying to absolutely dictate the terms of what this lady should do um, it must be said that she, she the, the girl the girl who had the baby said she wasn't going to christen the baby but she could consider it in a few years so she's not writing this off Yeah. so her mother's reaction and being very dictatorial about it is actually having a, a, a major negative effect on this new mother now new mothers have a lot of hormonal adjustments to make feeding a baby, nurturing a baby looking after a baby, night feeds all of that that goes with it whether or not she's breastfeeding, whether or not she had a cesarean section, she's sore and tired and weary, whether she has other children oh no, it's her first child but um, the mother is being very dogmatic here she, need to give, she needs to give her some time. Mm. Uh, the girl is not against getting the baby christmas, just she said she wasn't going to do it, but she could consider it in the future. Now, that gives them an opening. And if the, the granny doesn't accept her daughter's ruling or interpretation of what is right for her child at, at her time, um, there's going to be a conflict there and the mother is going to lose out on so much, like the granny is going to lose out on so much in terms of access to that grandchild. But how do you resolve that then? How do you make granny see sense? You see granny is a, a traditionalist and mm. she sees that I mean the, the whole thing about the child will go straight to hell <laughs> like if the child died, we're hoping the child wouldn't die we hope the child would go to a hospital and get better if it was sick Um She's she's being very dramatic about this very traditional view. But that's the belief, though. It, it is her belief, but her daughter's belief is slightly different. Yeah. And I mean, there, there are various reasons why people don't have the same traditions as people had before. And it could be that we now have, as we like to use the word, a blended society. We have many different um, cultures here now. We have many different ways of celebrations now. We have many different religious beliefs now. We have a, a lot less priests now. It may be that you go in and you find that it's... Um, an ordinary person, say, giving out the sacraments or being part of the, the whole process of Mass. We, we, we have a very ageing population of priests. We're, we're not getting that many people being called to the cloth mm. anymore. So, I mean, it's, it's just a matter of reviewing 
what's best. There are some lovely services there um, with celebrants that do beautiful naming ceremonies. They do beautiful acknowledgements of their religious beliefs or their lack of them. And I mean, I think it's a personal choice for people. And whilst we would have been very traditional and would have gotten our children christened and, and all of that, that was then. And now, I suppose, if you gave people a choice that say, well, was that right or was it wrong? People make their own choices about their religious beliefs going forward. When they yeah. get to an age where they can decide, they can decide if, if mass is a thing that resonates with them, if it's for them. But there are other people that are led and said and get terrific comfort from their religion and the religious beliefs. So here what we have is a direct opposition to the mother's views about take the child to the church quickly and mm. get it christened. And the, the girl who's had the baby saying no, I, I'm actually not going to do that right now. I might do it in the future but I'm certainly not doing it now. And I think she probably has enough on her plate yeah. without the mother creating this big rift. I don't know what they're going to do about it but I think there has to be a movement on both sides to try and resolve this so that that granny can have a relationship with her grandchild. So if she went to granny and said I, I'm really not looking to do a christening now but I'll think about a naming ceremony would you be happy with that? The mother's not going to be happy with that. Right. She's not going to be happy with that because she wants the religion. Yeah. She wants that and that's what what, what it is. Um, I know the celebrants do beautiful ceremonies. Absolutely beautiful ceremonies and there's a lovely aspects to them and they really are exciting you know and I'm sure you'll have a celebrant in here to talk to you about what they do because they do weddings and funerals and christenings and naming they do all sorts of things and they're very very good but like this at the end of the day is parental choice what mm. they want for their child and what interested me as well she said I also have had some of her allies coming to me saying just get her christened to settle it yeah so that's kind of it's kind of subtle bullying. And if you give in now, you'll always be given in. Well, the thing about it is, it's a very hormonal and terrific time of celebration for a child. And part of the celebration sometimes is all the religious aspect of it. And what's right for one person is not right for another. Yeah. And I think the mother here is after just being so, she's after taking a sledgehammer to crack a nut. And it's just not the right approach. And this girl is hormonal and now she's upset. And she has people of her mother's age coming and saying, you know, why, just, why don't you just go down, get the baby christened and, you know, Keep it'll be quiet. done. Yeah. But that's, that's not that's not right of the, the mother to be bullying her daughter into yeah. doing what you know and I'm acknowledging there are people that have very strong views on each side of this but I mean she's not th th having a rift because now the daughter's going to get stuck in and get pure take over it mm. and the mother even take her sending down her friends to say go down and tell that one to get that child christened and also threaten her that if the child dies. Oh, that was a horrible it's thing. It's an awful to thing, yeah. yeah. Because maybe it goes straight to hell. Oh, like, God. what's hell anyway? Yeah. This is hell for them. So, what, what? how do we resolve it? I think the mother has to come and, and chat. Okay, so it's all and, on Granny. She uh, has all to. All on Granny, yeah, she has to. And the daughter has to say, Mum, you're very unreasonable to try and just browbeat me into doing something yeah, not that happening. does not feel right for me at the moment. Yeah. It's not as if the child, unless this child is very ill, and the weed, that hasn't been mentioned. I'm assuming this is a lovely, normal, yeah, happy sure delivery. That yeah, yeah, and and you know 
that I, I want this for my child. Okay. Last letter then, number three. My mother is in her 70s and loves to go visit mediums and psychics. She's done it as long as I can remember and I think she always considered it a bit of fun and a day out with the girls. But I think that might have changed since my dad died during COVID. Now she goes at least once a month, travelling all over the country to visit mediums and has even spoken of travelling to England to see one in particular. I have spoken to her and said that I'm worried that she's relying on this too much for comfort since Dad's death, but she says she's a grown woman and will do what she wants. I've noticed that when she gets back and nothing is mentioned about my dad, she spends the next couple of days very down and then is planning the next one. Even if she gets a good reading on my dad, she's on a complete high and is still planning the next one. I'm worried she's fixated on this as a way of communicating with my dad and I'm worried that she's going to be taken advantage of. What should I do? Look, I, I have every sympathy for for everyone in this. You know, I think losing somebody is, is a very big life event. Um, and, and the fact that her father, this girl's father died during COVID and the mother is now fixed, fixated on going to mediums and psychics. She's, she says here she's done it as long as she can remember and she considered a bit frivolous fun. Yeah. But like, it seems as if there's a pattern here of going to mediums and psychics to get some sort of a steer on the future. Um, all the mediums and psychics in the world are not going to be able to bring her husband back. Mm. They're not going to be able to say, well, he's grinned and he's happy and he's this and this that. As I know... Nobody yet has come back from the dead and said, lads, it's grand over here or up here or down here or whichever here they're in. And um, I just think that this woman is possibly, she's got into her head that this is a good way of spending money and going to try and get comfort and get consolation for the loss of her husband. I do think that one of the best things she might be able to do for herself, and I'm not telling her to stop all this, she should go and have bereavement counselling. Yeah. Because there is certainly and the and the bereavement counselling is very, very good and it's more than one session. It's, you know, over a period of time where there could be a realisation that you've got yeah, I'm travelling I'm travelling on the train and that's thirty or forty euro, whatever it is, and then the medium is seventy or eighty or a hundred or hundred and twenty. I don't know what the cost is but it might be that she's using an awful lot of energy time to try and get solace when in fact she might just get that going to counselling and trying to get her head around her need to hear stories from somebody that will either say well the cards are showing this or the cards are showing that and people will take comfort where they will some people take it in alcohol some people take it in drugs some people take it in going to mediums and getting you know a steer on what their life is to be and you know when Mm. they're going to be okay or whatever but I think but it's like she sees it as a way of communicating with him directly yeah and that's the she's not going to get that as she sees it from bereavement counselling she will get a lot of help from bereavement counselling actually because it can change the way you think yeah. Um, th- this woman is, is getting comfort from communications with a man that has passed away he is not there anymore she misses him probably terribly but this is a woman that also went all her life to mediums and psychics yeah. so that's her thing she likes to do that but 
you know, I think when there's a bereavement in in a relationship like that where your partner dies, there, it's a very big part of your life. So her whole focus of going there for the crack and something for enjoyment has now become something where she's considering going to England because maybe the quality of the mediums there are better or this one is particularly good or she's read a lot about her if you're into something you know everything about them and about the the whole setup and all of that so I do think bereavement counselling is very necessary for this woman in the first instance but she's not going to stop this because this is obviously a bit of an obsession with her now but if she's getting comfort from it is is there any she's not getting comfort when there's nothing mentioned about her former her her husband she spends the next couple of days after not getting a mention from her husband being very down mm. and then she starts planning the next one. So there's no go- there's going to be no time where she can say she's going to be on a roller coaster for the rest of her life mm. because it's I'm up because there was a mention that oh he's here and he said to tell you everything is fine. That's great comfort in itself but your Jesus it's like is is that real? Well, it depends. A lot of people would have the view that it is. Yep, and it's fine if she's getting the comfort from it. But I think in the first instance, she needs to have bereavement counselling around the loss of her husband. She needs Mm. to separate that out from these visits. And she needs to evaluate as well. Like if she's in her 70s, she's a pensioner. How much money is she going to spend going to mediums and going to psychics and not getting told about her husband or that he is mentioned? Like, mm. I mean, it's 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 just a way that's not it's not a good use of her time and it's not a good use of her money. And I'm not saying that she should give it up entirely. She should still do it if she wants to do it, you know, for for a degree of whatever she's yeah. going to get out of it. But constantly going off and organising the next one when she doesn't get a great message about the previous time. She's she's like on a roller coaster. She's up and she's down. And How she's do you depressed. get her then into bereavement counselling if she's a bit reluctant to Hopefully it? Hopefully she's listening to the programme and she might just take the view that perhaps maybe I would try that. Yeah. And I'm not saying to her that that's You don't have to she, give up the medium totally. No, no, yeah. she doesn't have to give up anything totally. But if she had some counselling around her loss from a real live person in a room where she can discuss freely and be as free to be as as upset as she needs to be or as happy talking about him as gives her comfort. It might give her a lot more comfort to have bereavement counselling in a setting that are there are trained people to do it. And I'm not saying mediums and psychics, by the way, aren't trained. Of course they are. But like... Her bereavement counselling is going to give her a lot of comfort and solace yeah. in terms of coming to terms with the loss of her husband rather than running off to a medium and a psychic. Yeah. And if week. she if she thought about it, maybe the medium and the psychic will focus on the person who's deceased, whereas the bereavement counselling will focus on you and your feelings exactly, around it. Exactly. And also allow the space to talk about him and allow the space for the anger that comes with grief yeah. and the reconciliation and coming to terms with it. It's a very long process for some people and for other people they just try to run away from the feelings and they say I want to get good news and I'm going to go to the medium because I'll get it from them. Yeah, It's like going off and saying you know today's a good day and I, I saw I saw whatever I saw this morning and that's a good sign and I'm going off and I'm going to do a lot of today and I'm going to, I'm going to win it. It's going to be great. Mm. <laughs> and I mean how often does that happen? Yeah. So look I, I have every sympathy for her 
um, it seems as if she's on a kind of a roller coaster of going to mediums and psychics and she's entwined it in with the loss of her husband. And there is no doubt that losing someone during COVID is losing someone at any time from anything is a dreadful time in someone's life. And this woman needs to give herself some space and some time and maybe just reevaluate how she's using her time. Okay, Phil, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us this morning. If you have a question for Phil, you can email them to us tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie New Year, as we know, it's the time we look at everything around us in our life and see what needs changing. And inside our homes, of course, is no different. Delighted to be joined by Karen Prendergast, interior designer. Karen, good morning. Happy New Year. I'm great. Now, tell us the trends for maybe interior design and colour for this year. Mm. I know we we had grey for a long, long time. Is the grey kind of slowly going? Slowly going, but it's still there. Okay. I suppose when a colour is in for as long as grey has been in, and then for years we had cream before that, and, you know, cream was there for 10, 15 years. You can't dismiss it totally because there'll be a lot of people who will have grey couches and grey kitchens and, you know, and a lot of grey in their house so for you know, as an interior designer I'd never come on and say grey is out but yes there's less grey in the shops you know before you'd gone into a shop and there was 10 grey couches in the shop whereas now maybe there's five yeah so it's not that it's gone away at all but there's other colours coming in green was very big last year you mm. know that dark kind of sprucey green lovely green lovely yeah. and very love, warm very warm love it but this year the colour of 2023 is Viva Magenta Magenta yeah oh no so to define magenta for anyone listening, because we all have a different take on magenta, it's a pinkish, purplish, red, or a reddish, purplish, pink, or a mauvey, crimson. Mm. So there's different types. That's of, a big know. jump, isn't it? It is a big jump, but, of course, Karen being the sensible interior designer that she always is, a bit way out at times, but sensible enough. If it were me, I mightn't buy a magenta couch. yeah. It's a big gamble, it's isn't it? It's a big gamble. Whereas I would definitely, if I wanted to buy, uh, paint a single wall in a room, maybe buy some trows and accessories and whatever in magenta, no problem. Yeah. I would I would definitely go down that route. But again, I always find the very basic items that we buy in a house, i.e. couches, floors, fireplaces, countertops, tiles, kitchen presses, bedroom furniture, um office furniture whatever it needs to be basic yeah colour wise and then you and decorate around decorate it. around it right. so while magenta is fantastic I wouldn't go tiling anytime soon in magenta or you know spending oh an awful lot of money Imagine. on it but it's a gorgeous colour great for accessorising great to do a splash of colour on one wall if you want it and if you love if you love pink and magenta and it's your thing mm. go straight ahead do you know what I'm seeing a lot of lately um, navy ceilings in kitchens especially it looks beautiful you wouldn't think it would it looks beautiful and I think a navy navy with a lot of white works very very well or a pale grey but again you know sometimes when we're looking at pictures and Pinterest and um, papers and Instagram and Facebook and whatever those rooms can be deceiving because there may be an awful lot of artificial light yeah. for those photographs or there may be an awful lot of artificial light. So while a navy ceiling, and you're right, in some of the pictures looks fantastic yeah. and 
it may not work in every room. But the, And that's the thing, like, should you take the gamble or is there any way of seeing what it could be like without doing it? Not really, but again, and, and um, I started out my interior design working for a painting contractor for 16 years. That was my job and the interior design evolved from that. Mm. So if a person wanted to change a white ceiling to a navy ceiling, it would probably take four coats of paint. <gasps> and if you wanted to change back from a navy ceiling to a white ceiling, it could take five or six coats ah. of paint. So the idea is brilliant. And in some rooms, yes, it will work depending on the light, depending on the size of the room, depending on the height of the ceiling. But to change back, to change it to navy and to change back is a lot of labour. Yeah. As opposed to maybe not a big cost in paint, but an awful, awful lot of labour. So if somebody was getting a painter in and they weren't doing it themselves, there's quite a, an amount of money involved to get any any walls painted a darker colour or any ceilings painted a darker colour and vice versa then when you want to go back. So it costs quite a bit in yeah. labour to do it. Are we going back to darker colours? Because another trend I'm seeing on Pinterest is dark stairs. And we were all painting the stairs white last year. Yeah, so really, really what's on trend this year. And I did see it in some of the furniture shops, um, we'll say maybe four or five months ago coming in. What looked like recycled furniture brown furniture, yeah. darker furniture, modern recycled furniture, um, old style furniture coming back in. So going back to that dark spruce green. And a walnut. Yeah. yeah. And mahogany that we talked about. So what's really in now at the moment is green. Really big. Um, and also bringing the inside in is massive. So if, if you look at the trends that are going are in for this year, it's bringing plants into the home. Not outside plants in, but inside plants in. Um, you know, getting the benefits from those um, having, bringing the ins, the outside in, especially this time of the year yeah. where maybe you can't get outside so I think at the moment it's important to declutter mm. I have so many clothes to get rid of and you know that kind of stuff to do, not so much paperwork or anything like that but clothes and I, I don't have a lot of household items that I need to get rid of but I have a fair amount of clothes and shoes that I need to do this week to clear my head Yeah, but it's to declutter open up your windows, get a bit of air into the house every day, even if it's only while you're going into the shower or while you're making a cup of tea, open the windows for a few minutes and just freshen the house up, freshen yourself up, you know, because interiors are just, about, uh, for me, uh, as much about the people living in the house than it is about the interior. Yeah. So now I go into somebody's house, yeah, magenta might be in or brown might be in and the whole lot, and those people might absolutely hate them. So there's no way I'm ever going to give them to them just because yeah. they're in. And another, this was actually when I was thinking about what we talk about today and looked at what was trending. One of my biggest um, discussions when I go into somebody's house is normally the men want to keep the timber and the ladies want to paint. Yeah. Now I'm talking timber work. So there might be a stairs that's 20, 30 years old and like it was mahogany or teak at the time or whatever. And it's in, I the pine doors pine are a big doors, thing, aren't they? they? love, the men yeah. love the pine doors. I love timber. And the skirting. Yeah. So it's always kind of, we've no problem, we paint the walls, but no way are we touching that lovely timber work, you know? So that's often a bone, it's more more often than not a bone of contention. They love the, they love yeah. the timber. But... Um, and, you know, sometimes you just need to change regardless of what's in. But going back to what you started with, brown is massive. It's massive in kitchens, presses, it's massive in walls. So oh, can really we just painted them all on twice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. never going back. Yeah. So, um, and moody rooms, dark brown, dark green, dark blue, black and white. 
okay. exactly what you you you, you know darkness, you saw. Yeah. all those dark colours are great but just remember if you do do them you want them to keep them for a few years because yeah. It's just tough to go back. Mm. Is spring cleaning still a thing now or is that? Do we do that anymore? Should I was we in, be doing I was it? in one um, big, um, I won't say supermarket, but downtown this morning because uh, I got bought stuff online. I need to return. It was my first time in after getting the order. They were closed actually. And just containers, every place, absolutely every place. And kitchen cooking, you know, um, cooking utensils and everything. Yeah. So yeah, it is a big thing. Right. And I think it's important because all of us are after getting presents for Christmas and I have to make room for them because mm-hmm. I'm, I live in a smaller house than I used to before so I can't just dump everything in a corner. I don't work well to be honest if I'm if I'm Clutter. cluttered so yeah. I, I'm finding this yesterday and the day before that I have too much stuff so I need to give away um, you know find a home for some pieces or whatever. Yeah. So the other thing that's really in it is it really has been in and con- will continue to be in for all this year is marble. So Big splashes of marble, white marble with big grey um, pattern going through it, veins going through it, different coloured marbles. They don't have to be marble, but yeah. marble effect. Okay. So worktops were very big last year with different marble effects, and again, they're very, very big this year. And can you guess kind of the, it's the laminate. laminate? Yeah, Is laminate, this? or okay. we'll say, we call it ordinary worktop. Yeah. Uh, in all those, yeah, you can get maybe. 30, 40 different types of worktop out there now that don't cost big money. Yeah. And it, you're not fussing over it and you're not worried about staining no. it or scratching it. And just to carry on from the, talking about marbles and worktops, just for everybody to remember, you can 100% paint the tiles. You do not need to change them. So if really? there's anybody out there, it's something I do in a lot of my, my jobs is repaint the tiles. So if you're thinking of repainting your tiles, we'll say replacing your um, worktop and repainting the tiles it can be done really cost effectively and very cheap but mm. if you're repainting your tiles and you're doing it yourself they need to be cleaned down properly with sugar soap dried and left dry then you need to put a bin primer on them available in all good hardware shops uh, a bin primer and then two coats of satin wood or eggshell and you get a magnificent finish. Are you painting the grout as well? Or do you're they painting the grout as well. Okay. No. So you're painting the whole thing. So you know, in if we say if the tiles are sitting on the worktop, they're just sitting on the worktop and then at the top there's usually a bead yeah. going around the, the side and the edge and then you've got your grout in the middle. So you paint the whole lot. So you paint the plastic part on the top, you paint the grout and you paint the tiles. But I do it so often on jobs that we're not the, the budget isn't there to change the tiles. Yeah. They don't need to be changed. Maybe they're just the wrong colour and they're perfectly good, even though they might be there 10-15 years you can paint them to a 100% job. Okay. But w- between everything, the primer and and all the stuff you need, are you talking about then about so, four coats altogether? Uh, I'd say, yeah. So you're going to wash it, right? right? Maybe with some sugar soap or some washing up liquid and warm water, leave it dry. That can be free. Your litre of um, bin primer is going to cost you someplace between 25 and 30 euros. And if you have a litre then of your finished coat, that's two coats. So they say that's going to cost you 25. So you could do the whole job for 50. That's okay. It's very good if you do it yourself. Yeah. And a roll of masking tape will be about three euros. So mask off your um, your worktop, mask off around your wall and mask it off really well. Give it, give 10 minutes masking it. Mm. And... Um, Absolutely, you can do that yourself for around 50 euros. Now, the trick is leave the masking tape for about a day or two. So when you're pulling off the masking tape, the paint is dry yeah. and it doesn't pull the masking tape off with it. But honestly, it's a, it's a really, really good way to revamp your kitchen. Yeah, and you'd be surprised the difference it would make. I'd so imagine. if you were to repaint your walls 
and if you if you did want to repaint, because my kitchen is something I do a little bit more than other rooms, because you know we cook and everything, it gets yeah. a little bit more use. If you were to repaint your walls and repaint your tiles, you would have uh, almost a new kitchen. Yeah. And How course, often should you be repainting? It depends on the use in the house. Right. Like I moved house almost two years ago. Most of the rooms won't get painted for at least another three years. I was going to get my kitchen kitchen painted before Christmas, but I decided I'd wait until the spring and I could open the windows and the doors a little bit yeah. more because I have allergies. Um, but it just depends on the usage. Mm. Yeah, that's the thing. To be honest, there's no there's no rule. There's no fast rules all about it. Okay. So you kind of know by looking at it anyway. You know by looking at it. And then an if you're wipe. using certain parts, say you're coming in the front door, as I am, and my, my front door is a normal size front door, but I'm always hocking in and out different bits and pieces so it gets marked on the right yeah. hand side so if I just touch up that small bit in the right hand side it's it not a whole, whole wall it, you know yeah. it's clean and tidy again but with my work I'm always bringing in and out stuff so I tend to mm. um, you know hit the right hand side and the last thing that is huge and I'm going to tell you about the one I've done for myself is a butler's pantry so that's oh. like it, now it doesn't have to be yeah. like what we I see I think it's Pinterest the Irish woman's walk-in <gasps> wardrobe isn't it well I did mine and it wasn't fitted out. I did it myself. And I got everything from a store. And um, I was able to get two different types of units. And none of them had a front on them. So I can move up and down my shelving. I can fit my cereal. You know, I have my flour in boxes because yeah. I do a lot of cooking. I have my bigger items. I have my tea towels out there. I have my box with my fake tan and all those kind of things yeah. you know all the different things depending on, on the person and what they want out there um, my bottles of water tall two litres my my Diet Coke you wouldn't believe what I fit out there yeah. and it cost me probably including labour 500 euros that's not bad at all for a whole room and you save a lot of space then in the kitchen by doing that well you see in my kitchen I decided I wouldn't have top presses now everybody yeah. isn't here to decide to hear what I decided on but again smaller house no top presses so that utility so you so, have the open shelving yeah yeah it's beautiful yeah. and my my utility room stroke pantry whatever you want to call mm. it is priceless to me it's, yeah. it's worth a fortune and all in maximum was five I, I would probably say about 350 because my husband was able to put it together yeah. but for somebody looking to do a really nice job handy about 500 Wow Can I ask you a couple of questions before I let you go can. we're running out of time what does Karen think of painting over wallpaper? Depending on the type of wallpaper so most wallpapers will work if you're painting over wallpaper you need to make sure that you that if there's any corners peeled away that you um, put them back down with wallpaper paste and leave them dry but most wallpapers will work might take a couple of coats but just make sure I did a, a house before Christmas and it was the whole house was lined with lining paper and it was mm. coming away at the edges so the painter made sure that they were all stuck back down but yes it is successful Okay Anne is wondering as well can you paint tiles in an ensuite? Yes you can Okay But again it's down to making sure that they're totally cleaned totally dry and get the proper amount of coats but yes you can Okay. If any one of those series of things aren't done right, the paint may lift. Okay. So you just have to be have the ensuite out of action for a few days. If you had the ensuite out of action, we'll say over a long weekend, yeah. you'd get the job done, no problem, with the window open to leave air circulate to make sure it dries properly. Perfect. Karen, anyone's looking to contact you, how can they do that? 86 606 9009 or um, IE. Perfect. And Emma will have those details. Thanks. Great to see you as always. Happy New Year to you. Thank you. Join the conversation in Tipperary. 
Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Welcome back to Tip Today, the final part of our first show back in 2023. And of course, once kind of January 1st hits, all we're thinking of, where are we going on holidays this year? Where are we going, Fergal? Where are we going this year? And I don't find unusual, but I spent my weekend like looking at flights and places. and It's kind of every year just after Christmas, it's kind of like you're when you've got that, oh, it, I just find like start planning for the the year ahead and it kind of helps, doesn't it? You it know? Does, and when you weather like we have today, mm. then it, it makes you want to crave a bit of sun and a bit of sand, doesn't it? Exactly. And I was looking at flights last night and something we'll talk about, but yeah, they've definitely gone up, you know, the prices have gone up, but um, but yeah, no, it, it's it's definitely something I do. And, and you know, every year, like I was in here this time last year and the year before, I'm talking about trends and I, I was looking back at my notes from 2021 and it's gas because like I I was saying that reports were saying that air travel would it would go back it would be 2029 before it go back to 2019 levels but I'd say it'll probably go back to it this year so it's amazing how quickly we change yeah. you know like in 2021 I was I was saying about how no longer will it be just the passport but we'll also need uh, the COVID pass and now I'm like going do I delete it I haven't deleted it yet off yeah. my phone but you're going Do I you still need that? No, no At all? I, America I think there's maybe America but there's talk about getting rid of that that's the only place but um, Yeah Otherwise, Asia, everywhere else has opened up completely. But it's, I would say don't delete it yet, though, because who knows mm. uh, how things change. But it's funny how things, you know, yeah. I mean, the big, the buzzword in 2021 was staycations. And then I was in here this time last year and I was talking about friendcations. And, and a lot of things I talked about last year, like working from holidays, working remotely, slow travel, regeneration travel, spurgecations, all those things, I think, again, are the buzzwords for this year. I mean, I, I said I was looking at with friends were a WhatsApp group and we were looking at flights for going away like for a friend, bunch of friends and I think a lot of people that do that is a great way of catching up yeah. you know so the big buzzword for this year one I love is called mullet travel love it isn't it a good one so basically that was the the Wall Street Journal and it was it's business at the front and party at the back <laughs> and and it's you know it's funny even yesterday I was talking to somebody and that was their plan they were looking wherever they were going to go they were looking at a they were flying, getting a boat actually into Bilbao and then they were going to like say go for three weeks and a two week holiday and then work for a week so a lot of people are saying that like Skyscanner they do a travel trends report every year and the one this year is saying that one in six people plan to work while on holidays and that's the big thing you know like with, with remote uh, travel you know with Zoom has changed travel now because people yeah. have meetings and the, the travel industry then because of that they change you know like I David McWilliams on two years ago on my podcast Travel Tales of Fergal and he was talking about saying business travel has gone now because of this that meetings can happen over Zoom but it's yeah. amazing how the industry changes and now what they're doing like Airbnb are saying they're seeing longer stays so people are booking for longer stays combining mm. business with pleasure the industry even countries are changing now like places like Thailand are uh, increasing the length of visas countries are increasing the length of visas so that people can do that work and I even remember here in Clamel a Christmas meeting a neighbour who works in Toronto but was back for Christmas yeah. and was working from Clamel you know in so just working whatever it was like five to eight or whatever the hours were instead of you know Toronto time basically so it's amazing how 
Zoom and you know remote travel. You're things not limited have anymore. Yeah, by exactly, where you are. exactly. Yeah. So I think that's going to be a trend. You know, and that person I was talking to yesterday, they were saying how they got that boat um, from Rosslare to Bilbao last year, and it was like there was loads. Of, it was packed up with cars, and they were saying that it was like the cars were packed because people were going for like a month or longer. Wow. Lots of people. So it'll be interesting, you know. Yeah. And that, you know, my travel tip for this year, I would say then that that's what I would say to people like this. Again, this time last year, I was saying because we were back into into COVID times last this time last year and I was saying hold off till March or April but now what I'd be saying this year is if you can to actually book as soon as possible because um, they're saying the prices like American Express again do a travel monitor and for this year they're saying in Europe prices are going to jump over 5% and I was looking at flights to Malaga yesterday and I would say they'd gone up even by more than that you wow. know because of the cost of fuel and you know staffing costs and because traditionally this would be the time of year where you'll get the bargains is that still the case though Uh, kind of but I mean before like Black Friday and there was deals before Christmas there isn't actually that many sales on now they were all on before Christmas Erlingus are doing deals now but I mean, he, I was looking at flights last night and, you know, I kind of was looking up going, they were calling them deals, but the prices, they were still more expensive than they would have been mm. um, last year. So, but I, I do think prices are going to go up as the year goes on because demand is going to happen. And also things like even vouchers, like I still have an Aerolingus voucher to use. And I think there's a lot of people in 2020 that got vouchers. And those Aerolingus vouchers were for five years. Yeah. So that, you know, because people are using those vouchers, that's going to feed also into the demand. So I do think prices are going to keep going up. But, you know, I keep saying, right, my top travel tip is always every year I always look at new routes. And if you can find a new route, um, they're generally the airlines are promoting them they aren't as popular so the price are always cheaper so one you're getting to go to a new place but they're always generally cheaper and also I would go really support the local uh, airports like Cork or Shannon because yeah. one I remember last year last summer the queues and the staffing Chaos and, and we, exactly and will that happen again this year probably yeah. will so it didn't really happen in Cork or Shannon, but they didn't have as much capacity. So now, like Cork, say, they've got a load of new routes. They're saying their capacity is going to be up 20% this year. And I would so recommend going to, to like, Cork or Shannon mm. because it's, you know, it's much quicker, less queues. It, the flights are often lower costs, as I said. Yeah. I was looking at flights yesterday. Much mm. So it's it's much. I was looking at flights to Malaga, and it was like much cheaper going from. Cor- I went, I'm going from Cork, then compared to Dublin, yeah. and then you've got the parking costs, etc. Yeah. So I would really recommend that. And there's loads of routes, like just say from Cork. There's some great ones, like I, I don't know if it's Rona Garib, but La Rochelle. Yeah. There's a flight directly from Cork. There's Rome. There's Seville. There's uh, Venice and then from Shannon, there's flights to uh, Porto, Naples. So there's some great ones. And, and Lots of choice. Yeah. yeah. Um, just before, we're just out of time, yeah. but let me know the latest podcast as yeah. well. So I, I have a two-part one and it's just out. I really recommend to people is Clare Destination Special, where I'm originally from. So I interviewed, it was a big one, I interviewed eight people. So there's two parts to that and that's out now. And that was lovely because, I mean, just talking to people from like the Burn and from Doolin, like, like saying Doolin, there's a festival coming up, Hedge School Festival in January. Mm. festivals all over Clare you know like Ennis is famous for the Flan the Flan 
Nua. So there's loads of stuff going on all over Clare. So I'd really recommend that to people. Okay, and that's on your Instagram? It, yeah, Instagram, which is uh, Travel Tales with Fergal. Um, or, or basically all podcasting platforms. So anywhere you get your podcast, it's Travel Tales with Fergal. And it's a Clare, two-part Clare Destination special. Excellent. Thanks for that. That's us out of time for today. Thanks, Fergal, and happy travels to you in 2023. Thanks, Tim, on the phones. We're back with you again with Tip Today tomorrow from 9. Stephen's up next. Have a great day. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.